This is Kari Randolph, and you're listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. Booyah. <laughs> Forms.fultonbullets.com because get give it to chatting. Yeah, but you should use the right URL, not that one. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> oh snap! Yeah, now. Good times, good times. All new, all different. Uh, this is gonna be a long episode. Dude, I've been so teasing all down. week on the Twitter for people. The I know. I know. I don't know why you'd be doing that. What do you mean? Dude, you got to embrace call, change. I know you hate change. You got to embrace it. I'm gonna call you Stan. Hey, although I like you. I mean, you know. it's all what I gotta say, you know. Yeah. Yeah. More importantly, though, hundred bullets page. Ah, look at you. <laughs> For real. From what issue? Um, issue twenty-five. I'm I'm glad you finally filled that uh, Rizzo. Yes, me too. Your collection. Me too, dog. Unbelievable. That's what I like about you. When you want something, man, you go, you just go out and get it. Gotta get it. In you mo- only live in, once, in, son. In most cases that That's you true. do. I mean, if you really wanted the, the, uh, first appearance of Wolverine page, you still won't get that it because true. you're a re- you're a realistic person. <laughs> that is but, true. Yes. <laughs> but you just said last week, I gotta get me some Rizzo and here we are this week. Boom. You got some. Gets to get and me some. Respect. 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 Mr. Wood. Mm-hmm. You know what else I respect? What? Change. Sexy. Yeah, not a fan. You're not. not. Yeah, you are not. <laughs> no. not. Good times though. I, in, in fact, unpredictable people bother me. Mm. <laughs> when, when, when I meet someone that's erratic and you can't, you can't peg them, you never know what they're going to do or say next. They kind of scare me, and and I don't like to be around those kind of people oh, all that you, much. You lost a hundred thousand pounds, so you've changed. Yeah, but I still act like me. Hmm. Well, my voice isn't so deep. According to you, you used to be a, a dick, and now you're a nice guy. <laughs> Major dick, yeah. Hey, cancer will do that to you. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of changes you a little bit. All right. Hey, everybody. Stop, That's a flip opener right there. Yeah. <laughs> really. Hey, cancer. All right, let's get into this puppy. It's 11 o'clock comics, and I'm Vince B, and I'm a damn survivor. Oh, I was Three. waiting for someone else to go. I'm David A. Price. Uh, yes, you are, and I'm still the anchor man. I'm Jadavian Clowney. Um, I, David, I, take I, it away. Okay, yeah. Um. All right. We uh, um, starting it off right up front now to um to just throw it out there since someone was absent uh from the roll call. Um, I have I I have I have a little something. To read you for you guys, and um, and you don't have to leave your friends in the lurch to get cheap comic books. <laughs> uh, go ahead, we'll do the we'll we'll do the promo. It's, it's up to you. Letter. You want to do it now? It's up to you. 
I blew the segue. No, go ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll find something. All right. So I have, I have a short letter that I have to read. Um, and this is from Mr. Biggest fan. Our bit, yes, our, our now biggest fan. He, he, he was, he was a co-host, founding member. Uh, he is now a fan. Yeah. All right. Let's just, he, all right. This is from Christopher. Neesman. You remember him? <laughs> He's here last week. Cue the background music. Uh, hey, folks. A few of you know, but for most of you, this is news. After nine-ish years, over five of them right here on this fine program, hundreds, if not well over a thousand episodes, and thousands, literally thousands of hours speaking into a microphone about comics, I've decided to hang up my podcasting shoes. We have special shoes. It's true. This was a difficult decision to make. Comics have been and will remain a huge part of my life. But podcasting for almost a decade is something that has at times defined me, right or wrong, and has been one of the most incredible, fulfilling, frustrating, rewarding, draining, exciting, heartwarming, heart-wrenching, fascinating, and all-around fantastic experiences of my life. When Brian Salazar, Tom Caters, and I decided to give this new thing called podcasting a try, we had no idea what we were getting into. I'm pretty sure we would still do it all over again. We were the Larry Moe and Curly of Around Comics during what I considered the golden age of comics podcasting. Podcasting in the mid-2000s was new and fresh. As Tom would remind us, nobody could make us stop no matter how terrible we were. In my humble opinion, we were never terrible. And hey, we got to talk to John Byrne. When AC was put to bed a few years ago, it was like breaking up with your high school sweetheart. It hurt but there was always the understanding that it was going to happen. And besides, I started dating another girl on the side. She was a late-night vixen that I hooked up with every Wednesday at 11. She was naughty and liked to drink, which was my kind of girl. Well, over five years there's, later... There's no way he wrote this. Go ahead. <laughs> well, over five years later, and it's time for us to stop dating. But that's okay. She was always Vince's steady anyway. All joking and weird podcasts as girlfriend metaphors aside... 11 O'Clock Comics was a podcast born out of bourbon, beer, wine, Peppy Max, and four friends that love talking with and at each other. My five-plus years of chewing the fat with these men will always be remembered as time well spent. I love each and every one of them like brothers, except David. Our forbidden love goes so much deeper than that. I love you, Bill. All kidding aside, again, this isn't goodbye as much as it is until next time. I'll be back for guest spots and to check in on my brothers from other mothers. But after almost 10 years of talking about funny books, it's time to move aside and let some other damn fool fill those iPhone earbuds with alcohol-fueled opinions and rants about who has a better rogues gallery. It's Batman. To all of the so now you know he wrote it. To all of the listeners out there that I've met in person and to all the ones I haven't, thank you for everything. Your support has meant the world. Meeting people at cons or receiving the occasional package in the mail from someone that appreciated the show has always been an unexpected thrill. I can only hope that I wasn't an asshole to you in return. I can get kind of surly sometimes. I blame Sal and Obama. To Vince, David, and Jason, boys, I love you. I have very few people in this world that I would beat up an old woman for, and you are three of them. Signed, Chris Neesman. And you don't have to leave your friends in the lurch to get cheap comic. <laughs> oh, just, just shimmy on over to Discount Comic Book Service. 
DCBService.com, where you can get your favorite funny books and collectibles at huge Wamba discounts, such as from Image. It's the Deadly Class Trade, Volume 1, Reagan Youth. Uh, this is written by Mr. Rick Remender, art by Wesley Craig, and colors by Lee Loveridge, right? Yes. Lee Loveridge? Yes. yes. Lee Lee Lowridge, I always, yeah. I always, yeah. Yeah. that's what I said, Lee Loveridge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cover price is a very respectable $9.99, but you can take it home for an even better $4.99. Amazing. At DC, we have a very, very special uh, event going on. It is written by our good buddy, Mr. Will Pfeiffer. Art and cover, we heard about that, from Mr. <laughs> Kenneth Rocafort. It is the Teen Titans, number one. Get in on the ground floor. It's going to blow up. Uh, cover price two ninety nine. Keeping it real. Your price a dollar forty nine. That's fifty percent off. And last but certainly not least, over at IDW, there's something going on that has been written and co-authored by Mr. Tom Sholey. Gotta love him so much. Uh, John Barber is also. Um, they have John Barber written here, uh, listed here as art. Two, that's not Me right. Too? Oh, all right. Uh, it's written by Tom Sholey and John Barber. I screwed that up. Uh, art is by Tom Sholey. Come on, it's the Transformers versus GI Joe. I think even um, there's a variant cover this time around by Jason's boy. Mm-hmm. Who this is? Chimera? No. Oh. Well, I don't know. I don't know about <laughs> that creator. The creator of Deadpool. Oh, my uh... boy Rob. Oh man. Uh your cover price is three dollars and ninety nine cent. Your cost a dollar ninety nine. Take it home. They don't mind late orders at DCBS and they don't mind order editions either. And you can get your previews for really cheap, a dollar twelve. That's nuts. Do it. DCBService.com. Alright, let's get back to that letter. I was joking, but I'm gonna miss him. Something he's gotta do. Yes. Yeah, you, know, you got to do yeah. it. Just go do and it's, it. You know. it's, and and like he explained to us last week. Yeah, we've we've been kind of sitting on this for a week. Uh, they are all. You've oh yeah, we've been sitting on it for a week. You've been sitting on that letter for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Yes, and and David to David's credit, uh, both Jason and I tried to pick his brain, uh, or uh, and he wouldn't he wouldn't you know I don't know maybe he did to Jason because he likes him better, but. <laughs> He he did not read it to me. I don't know. You both heard it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it it is what it is. I mean, Re- Renee read it because she wanted to. Um, wow. Yeah. No, I mean, it's just it's it's it, his reasons are you can say they're his own, but they're they're absolutely valid. It's it's what he said in the letter and then some. So I um and and you know on the nights where Vince, I'm still not down. Can't be here. Um, Chris will be. So, I mean, he hasn't gone away. He's just not going to be here every week and, and for, for a while. I mean, it's, he is no longer a show regular is, is I guess the best way I can explain it. So wait, we got to take him off the iTunes page now? Yeah, I guess we might have to reword that. Wow. Well. I'm glad I didn't get a tattoo of the four of us. For for real. Can you imagine that? uh, A new logo contest. Oh shit. Yeah, let's awesome see. Also, man, these logos gonna have to be retired. No, we could still 
use the three of oh, us. We can put the prohibit and, sign on on Chris. <laughs> no, put a question. <laughs> put a question, question mark. mark because Will he be here because this week? Uh, auditions are now open oh, to fill this fourth slot oh, because we God. all we all know oh, that this show works better. Oh, I don't Works works best as a quartet. Uh, we're announcing a contest tonight, right? That's the big news. Uh, is it? Uh, works for me. Uh, over the next couple months, I guess you'll be hearing um, other other voices in the Neesman slot. <laughs> this is and, like for uh, the Howard Stern listeners. This is like when he had roving guest hosts until he finally settled on Artie Lang, who uh, yeah, who, who eventually left the show because he tried to kill himself. But that's a story for another day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we don't we want that. We can't promise that won't happen to you, but it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. No, in all seriousness, um, though, I mean, uh, Chris, uh, I'm still a little skeptical that he's going to actually not come back in a few weeks. <laughs> I, I know. Because we heard from him more in the last few days chatting with us yes. than we have in a long time. It's like, it's, uh, which makes me think that maybe this was getting to the point where it, it, it was a job as, you know, I need yeah, to come up yeah. with something or I just, and, and we never, I know I never approach this show like that. I know when we have to read something or we're all going to read something, you know, if I have trouble with it, I, I just think about it that we're reading it for a reason. But if I'm reading something just to talk about on a show, I ain't feeling it. I put it down and I read something else. And, and at no point in, in all the years we've been doing this, and even when I was doing bullpen bulletins with Vince, I never felt like, holy crap, what am I going to talk about? Why am I reading this? And it was just – I. I love talking to you guys and, and I'm here every week to talk to you guys. So it's, it's, and with, so I'm not, I never view it as a job, but if, if there are things going on in the industry, in the world of comic books, in this medium, in this hobby that are either rubbing you the wrong way or you're just not feeling, then I absolutely get needing to step back. I absolutely look at this as a job, but it's a job I love. Unlike the one I go to every day, <laughs> um, it because I have to look at it that way because I am not a fan of moderation. I I can't budget myself at all in any respect. If if I like a certain type of food, I will eat it till I explode. If I was a a drug user, I probably would be dead. You know because I I just can't I can't curtail anything I love so. I look at this as a job. I have to do it every week. I have to be here, except when I really can't, like with with this master's thing, whatever. But I got to do it. I got to be here, and I'll be the last one locking that door. I'm certain of that. Oh, I see, because we're big quitters. No, not you. He he left. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But no, I, I, I will be the, the last man standing on this thing because it, this is, this is a job and I love it. I mean, I enjoy it like hell, but it's also a job that I, I have to perform every week. And if I feel any other way, it, that's, that's like, uh, Sir, Sir banging on the end. Boom. Yes. I, that's not good. I, I have to be all in. And I have been for a long time. Dave is probably really surprised that I've lasted this long. I'm certainly uh, impressed that you've uh, lasted this long with such zeal. Well, I, I got to like do. We got it. This is our. This is our. Th- <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely. Exactly. I mean, to your point, David, about it being a job. I mean, um, I definitely think, and this is where I got to 
I mean, offline when we talked to Chris about this, I, I really for not even a second thought it was the wrong decision because, you know, I think we've known probably more than the listeners that it, 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 at, at least at times in the last couple months, maybe even, you know, year plus has been a struggle for Chris because he hasn't been as in love with comics of late as he has at other times in his life. And, you know, these are cyclical things. I, I, as he said in his letter, he's, he's always going to have comics in his life. And I, I think that's why there'll be times where he, Maybe when it, he's not under the gun of having to talk about stuff every week, he'll he'll rediscover his passion for it. But but on the flip side, and, and this is not hyperbole, for me it's the opposite of a job. You know, I do have a, a, a I'm sure like many people, I find my job, my real job, stressful at times. It's it's uh, you know it certainly has its 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 moments where it, it's very pressure pressure packed, and there is an immeasurable value to our conversations each week for me. Um, you know, just, just it, it's, it signifies, um, that we're partway through the work week. You know, we're kind of over the crest, the hump day, if you will. And I, I know that no matter what kind of good, bad or indifferent week I'm having outside of this, when I strap on the headphones and (laughs) Skype and talk to you guys, it's all good. You know, yeah, it's all right. good. And no matter what we talk about, even when we're talking about Doctor Who, I still have fun. <laughs> so, grown ass and, and, and bad Chris doesn't feel well, that way yeah. when we talk about and, wrestling. But yeah, no. And I've always promised myself, and I would imagine you guys the same, for that if this ever felt like a hassle or a job, that would be the time to stop doing it. And I can honestly say that in six years, it's never felt that way. Right. And if it ever does, then you may be reading a letter from me. You know, but for now, it's. I sincerely hope we're doing this when I turn fifty. Nice. You know? I mean, even when I, I definitely will be. Well, that's, that, that's that's like another couple we weeks. <laughs> High five. Uh, the uh, forty nine. Please forty nine. I. It it's it's so not a job to me that when I'm away on vacation, like I will be next week, I'm still going to be talking to you guys. Oh, right. we didn't I, tell you that's not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> well, talking to you guys or going on vacation? No, you go on vacation all you want. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. So, Mr. Neesman, we will miss you. I raise my glass. Two of us understand it and agree with it, I guess. One of us is still not okay One with it. like Stewie Griffith with I don't like well, change. <laughs> I do not like change, but whatever. Um, you know what? In six months after we rack up a bunch of episodes and we go to a con together and someone's like, Hey, you guys, 11 o'clock comics guys. I love your, your show. I listen to it all the time. Yeah. And the, who are you? When Neesman gets his first, who are you? He will be back. He will be back. <laughs> Which is going to be a tough situation because we're going to have to tell the new person, you know, you got to tell Chris he can't come back. <laughs> Well, hey, Jackie uh, the Joke Man tried to come back and oh, did he really? really? I didn't know that. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, Howard takes things really personal. Oh, geez, I, I wonder who else does that. I don't. What? I don't. T- Shut yeah, up. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 speaking of of you know uh, heartfelt um, events, I guess uh, I don't want to dedicate this episode because it's just would be a, a a very small tribute, but my heart goes out. To um, Jamie Absolutely. D, Jamie Jamie yeah, Jamie Delasanto, for sure. 
and and everyone who knew him and everyone who was all his family and of course the the CGS guys um it, you got to know if you're in the comics community but if you don't uh Jamie D uh succumbed to cancer yeah and, Friday, uh, yeah it's a hell of a thing it is and you've dealt with it as we yeah. talked about in the lead in yeah but i i, I don't want to tie it to me it's no, the, the, no, no, no. the brother the brother he fought um valiantly Absolutely. and in the, in the end you know it's so he he's resting now and and god bless him mm-hmm. and i mean and we've we've mentioned it in the past as far as you know how this show came to be but it is it it, it is because of the cgs podcast and and the old brideemer.com and and comic geek speak boards that yep. we've all gotten to know each other it's true, but not Peter. I don't give him credit for it. Right? Anything. Yeah, no. This is a prima donna. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. So I don't don't want to crack wise. I raised a glass to him as well. Yeah. Wherever you are, Jamie. God bless you. Oh, look at you. Yeah. Well, that's what they say in my family. That's what, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sicilian family. Whenever you bring up somebody who has passed, they say, "Oh, God bless him." That's they, not just like the tradition. I was going to say, are you sure you weren't at a wake? <laughs> Someone singing Danny Boy back here? Oh, Danny you know, Boy. I, I, I piss my son off all the time. Whenever Seamus enters the oh, ring, God. I say it all the time. Where the hell is me Patagol? And he gets off the... Did you watch the WLC match? Uh, I, I, yeah, I thought I did. it was great. I, did. I, I was offended, but, but that's cool. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of the midget wrestling, to be honest with you. I, you know what? In these politically correct days, I'm surprised they get away with it. I'm shocked that they, they still got to work. Yeah, I, I know, but it's a well, it's I, I really don't think they're celebrating the size no, of these people. Not. No, no, definitely <laughs> not. The it's, shit out of it. Yes, I know, but it's it's they the, had an announcer named Micro Cole. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> that was well, no one ever that, said that WWE did not beat a goddamn joke into the ground, no matter how funny it wasn't. Yeah, it's true. It was pretty cool of Kane to hold his own camera for that angle in the car the other <laughs> Make it. Because there's no way they fit a cameraman in that backseat with him. That is ridiculous. Hey, let's uh, talk about some comedy. Well, what, what are you drinking, though? Yeah, I was going to say, we have to keep the drink roll call going. Absolutely. Just uh, Diet Snapple. Yeah. Iced tea. Peach flavored? or? Yes, peach. Oh, peach, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like the raspberry. If I'm doing flavor, oh, I, I like the raspberry. raspberry. If I'm doing flavor, otherwise it's just straight up lemon. The flavor you save a neighbor. And, and none of that diet crap. Stop. Mm. Can't, can't, can't do the chemicals, man. <laughs> I, I mean, with everything else I put in my body, but I just, it doesn't matter what it is. I, I taste the saccharin, the NutraSweet, the, what, what, whatever artificial sweeter they put in it. I, it, it just, Everything that's labeled diet or low calorie, it just, I, I, I can't drink it. You're like my wife. She doesn't like that I stuff. Can't either. drink it. It ruins it. Uh, what are you drinking, Jason? <laughs> I, I'm drinking Diet Dr. Pepper, which there has we go. chemicals up in it. So. Yep. You, uh, I gotta stay sober because I'm, I'm multitasking right now. Yeah, you are. You are. <sighs> uh, I'm not. All right, dude. But luckily Renee's driving tomorrow and I can, I gotta save my, my strength to, to drive on Saturday. I am drinking some Redwood Creek Merlot. Nice. There you go. How is that? It's it's still pretty tasty. It's uh you know it it it's not 
expensive, which is how I like my wines, but it is, it is very, very tasty. I'm, I'm a fan. I like, it. I kind of switch it up sometimes. I'll do the Merlot or I'll do the Cabernet, but I, I, I like their reds. Good California stuff. Nice. So I'm wondering as, as our, as our listeners listen to this episode, how many of them are reacting to the news because all week I was tormenting them on Twitter, telling them all new, all different, big changes. And people get, people's guesses ranged from, are you guys ending the show? Are you moving to Thursday nights permanently? But nobody actually guessed the real news. So, because it, well, A, I don't think it's something anybody wants to guess. Two, I'm like, I, well, if it's one of those things where if you say it out loud, you don't just want it to happen. And I think that, uh, yeah, who would think that any of us would ever leave this show? This awesome, fantastic time of a show. There you go. I don't know. I don't know either. Crazy people. Yeah. I mean, I, I had, um, I had someone ask me yesterday, um, with the, uh, with the delay, if, um, if we would all be here tonight. And, and I wrote back yes. Oh, very nice. Cause, uh, we all are here. It's, um, yeah, we, uh, it was, um, it, yeah, I, I, we, we've known for a week, like, like, like I said before. So it's, it's, um, it is definitely, uh, I, I'm kind of glad nobody was able to guess because I'd hate to say no or wait and find out. And oh, it, right, right, just, right. Yeah, so it, it's, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah. Did uh, any of y'all do any free comic book day stuff? Hell yes. I'm so uh, jealous, man. Yeah, right. You you didn't, David? Uh no, I was um I was chilling in a car for about five and a half hours. That's I, right. Her name I, taking that test, right? Yeah. yeah. So I but I did um I I downloaded the Dark Horse offerings, which I haven't read yet. I did read the one from two thousand A D. Oh you did? Good. And I started which I have tried to start more than once so far. I uh, I started the Future's End. Ah, so you read two out of the three things I read. Well, I read one and the first few pages of another. Well, that's good. Okay. Well, I'm. T- you know what? You read the first couple pages of Future's End. You you got the gist of the entire issue. Yeah, I. I, I yeah, I mean they 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 started off with with a future flash and and I I don't know I I was I, it's so weird I I I'm going to finish it so I can see where I stand on it and and want to see where it goes but I think as of right <laughs> now my my um. My time with with DC is um wow David no I'm not I'm not saying it's over I'm not pulling a Chris I'm saying (laughs) that it's it's um it's not DC it's it's limited it is definitely me it's definitely me because if they're doing things that other people are digging and 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 are behind then it absolutely is me but it's not um it you know I don't really think it's completely you. Because um, one of the criticisms against this uh, series, at least the first couple issues, 
uh, zero and one have come out. Uh, was that zero was the free comic book day? Okay. Yeah. E- uh, people, um, even those steeped in the DC universe found it extremely derivative. I mean, not, not, not only to DC continuity, but to like movies as well. I mean, it, in a nut, in a nutshell, Jason, um, the, the future goes to hell in a handbasket. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brother I That's, takes over. See, it's, it, it's, they were, I mean, we start off with a lot of what I wasn't a fan of from back before New 52. We start off with a few pages by Ethan Van Skyver. We, we, we start off with a future, uh, story of Flash and what may or may <laughs> not be his rogues. And he's got the costume on, right? But he has a mustache and a beard. beard. Big full fucking Duck <laughs> Dynasty gray beard. Um, and, and Frankenstein, or Frank, yeah, uh, and, and yeah. it's, and Brother Eye, and I'm like, this is not, I'm, I'm not, I, I didn't go into this thinking that, oh, okay, this is them trying to get me back, or I, I don't, I don't know who the target audience is. I don't know if it's, I don't know what kind of event this is. I, I read it because it was there and, and it was, I wanted to see what DC had to offer for, you know, I'm glad that lately they haven't just done reprints for their free comic book day stuff. And, and so I'm going to, it's, it's something new. I'm going to give it a shot. And like I said, I, I do want to finish it, but I started it off and I was like, I'm not, I'm not feeling this. Let me, Oh, right. Moon Knight number three, you know, there was just something else around that right, I could have right. read. So Brother I is going around assimilating organic beings. Uh and you have these pockets of um just heroes trying to uh preserve their lives because Brother I as we know is is not organic. It's it's a machine. And so it doesn't tire. It's 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 minions don't tire and uh, unfortunately flesh and blood, blood creatures do. And so you have these pockets of heroes just trying to stay alive, trying to stay away from Brother Eye. And that's what David was talking about. In the beginning, you see a, uh, a group uh, in which Captain Cold is apparently buddy-buddy with the Flash now. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess in the thick of things, you put your differences aside in order to... Oh, years is it 2035 uh, or something? Uh, Central City, 35 years from okay. now. And Brother Eye looms large in the sky, and there's blood red sky. And I think that's really appropriate because mm-hmm. a lot of heroes die in this thing. Um, right off the bat, um, you have cybernetic bug-like um, creatures uh, of Wonder Woman yep. and Hawk of Hawk and yeah. Dove. And, uh, you know, Flash takes out Hawk, just beats the crap out of him, rips his... His body Black Canary part. makes an appearance. We even see, I mean, Wonder Woman's down for the count right off the bat. So th- this story is, is not about the Trinity. This is, this yeah. is not a let, let's put, push the big players up to the forefront. This is let's focus on the bit players and the, and the third and fourth stringers, which I think is smart to a certain extent. I mean, it just makes sense to me to, to polish your, your, um, less fan favorite less less marketable less fan favorite characters and make them fan favorites right that's smart but and on the flip side people come to dc for the trinity right. and they also so push the, it, the the d and 
the C, B, C, and D listers for a year every week a few years ago. They did. They did that. But one of the things that is, I thought was really cool was Batgirl has become the bat signal. Oh, I didn't get that far yet. She, she's, well. I'm no, 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 no. I'm saying I just. And, and it's not a bat signal anymore. It's a brother eye signal. Uh huh. The, the bat is taken away. So and it's, it's, it's ag- the eye. Again, though, this, this goes back. Physically, she's part Who's of. Who's doing the, the art? A whole bunch oh, of people. A whole bunch of people. First few Let's pages see. of Ethan Van Skyver. There's some Dan Jurgens in there. Um, there's, and you don't know until the last page anyway, when, when you see who, who wrote and drew it. It's basically, it's like, it's like the, the, the 52 creative team all in one. They, they just crammed everybody mm. in, in, in one issue. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's, it's not Mark Wade or Greg Rucker or anything, but. We have, um, Ethan Van Skyver, right. Patrick Zercher, right. Aaron Lopresti and Art Tiber. Yep. Dan Jurgens and Mark Irwin and Jesus Marino and Dan Green. No, they're all, and, I mean, they're all talented, but yes. all very oh, yeah. different styles. So is it meant to, is it one story or are they each doing a different set of characters? Well, different because set. it's a weekly, yeah, okay. it's a weekly. So I'm, I'm sure it's going to be like, fifth, like, uh, there, 52. There, there, there are cut scenes where, so when, when Van Skyver's pages end, when you get the next, you turn the page after an ad and, and there's the next, chapter it doesn't it, it's not like the same story it just right it and because the right. uh there's uh batman beyond mcginnis and and future batman are, are together chilling in the bat cave and that's drawn by a different artist so it it, it, yeah, it works that was, as far as i'm, the I'm way sure it, it breaks up i thought that was Bryfogel. I, I was looking at mcginnis uh, and i was like and i got to the dude, end that's and I was gotta like, be jurgens Gotta yeah, I think it is. And I got, I got to the, uh, I got to the end and I was like, there's, there's no Bryfogel in this. Yeah. And that, that panel where McGinnis is, is hanging on the, the tube thing and you see Bruce down working on the computer. There is something extremely wonky with that, the figure of McGinnis. Hold on, let me. It's, it's just, it's just not right. The, the proportions are, and the placement of the, the, uh, limbs is just very, very odd. It's, it's not, it doesn't work. But I mean that—that's probably the biggest criticism you'd ever hear out of me. That that figure is just a mess. I mean, look at the length of the legs and where the legs meet the body, and and it's it's just not right. It's it's not. Uh, it's off. Let's just say. But anyway, Jason. In a nutshell, so you have these these freedom fighters just trying to stay alive, and who comes up with the bright idea to send somebody into the past to change it all? But Bruce. Uh huh. And he's got a little time device. And he plans to go back and stop the creation of Brother Eye right at the start. So wait, this sounds a lot like that uh, hot mess of a Marvel series with Sue and Wolverine traveling through time. What was that called? Oh, Age of Ultron. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there is a little bit of that. There's a little Terminator in it. Yeah. uh, So so Bruce plans to go back in time. And I guess Brother Eye was created with Mr. Terrific, Bruce and Mr. Terrific created it so he's going to go back stop himself from doing it but meanwhile um the uh brother i minions burst in and it's the the batman incorporated group knight and squire have now been taken over and the shit hits the fan bruce loses an arm in the struggle he can't jump back so he flips the device to terry uh mcginnis and mcginnis goes back in time but because mcginnis has a way different body mass than bruce he misses the mark, let's just say. 
and he travels back a little bit uh, later yep. than he should have. Yeah, and it's five, and, it's five uh, years from now. So that's where the five years later thing comes in. Um, I, 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 I enjoyed the hell out of it, but I, I wasn't, no, I <laughs> no, didn't. Not, I, I mean, it's, I, I want to, um, it seems like they're trying to shoehorn in a lot of things that they started a couple of years ago when they launched new 52 and, mm-hmm. and, um, and there are just some things that are just a little bit too reminiscent of the good and bad from the recent pre 50 new 52 years. Uh, and, and with Chris not here, I'll, I'll, I'll play the part of, of the asshole right now, but it was, it, it, when oh. I, no, no, I'm going to say, <laughs> because as much as I was flipping through this, when I got to the ad that said, uh, Ramita is coming because he and Jansen yeah. are going to be drawing Superman, I was more looking for, I was like, why couldn't that be my free comic book day? Even that's a throwback though. Kirby's coming. Now <laughs> yeah. Ramita's yeah. coming. No, seriously, right. it is. Right. It is. Um, I, I can see the nudge, nudge, wink, wink because Kirby was coming and he did Jimmy Olsen and got to draw Superman and and, and two guys and stuff. Yeah. Uh, Right. But no, I I enjoyed the hell out of it only because I'm really in the mood for a universe spanning weekly. If that makes sense. Um, I, I like the rotating writers and artists here. I, I enjoy, um, I enjoy the chaos of it and just the ridiculousness of it. It's, it's not, I'll be honest. It's not great comics, mm-hmm. but but it is fun. And it, as much as watching uh, beloved heroes get ripped to shreds every issue, right. and the, I'll spoil something. Uh, do you care? It's, it's yeah, not. It, you spoil it, it. No, it's not something you either of you have expressed interest in in the past. Okay. In issue two, Stormwatch completely oh, destroyed. Wow. Oh. Okay. They, 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 Brother Eye pulls him out of the bleed, mm-hmm. destroys the ship, the entire crew with Hawkman on board, and just it, it just just splatters Stormwatch mm-hmm. everywhere. It's, which is you know, it's not like, like I said, it's it's not something you would say you would give to someone as an ex- shining right. example of what what superhero mainstream comics mm-hmm. can be. It's well, just, as you know, I'm on board. I, I I'm on board for at least the first twelve issues because I've pre-ordered through the first three months. <laughs> So, so I mean, once you're 12 issues in, it's got to be really the stink to give it up. So, so yeah, I think part of me is like making myself enjoy it because I know I'm in the hole for 12 issues. Yeah, already. yeah. But, but this, that was not the right only now. major event from a big two publisher to get underway. No, no. original and, sin number one hit the stands, and this and and it's unlike original sin zero, which was written by Wade and and had art by um. Oh, son of a bitch. Um, by, 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 uh, by oh, Jim boy. Chung and, and, uh, and Medina. This was written by Jason Aaron and had art by Mike Diodato. So it, it was night and day. Um, very recent so. 11 o'clock comics guest host, Jason Aaron. That's true. And Jason, if, and if you're looking to do something on, on Wednesday nights from here on out, but the, he uh, thought I was kidding a few weeks ago when I said he didn't know it at the time, but he was going to be our new co-host. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how, how awesome would that be? Man. <laughs> be like, all right, we got to talk about Southern Bastards again this week. So the but. the uh, Vince and I were talking about it briefly, and and um, it was for me this was an issue where the art was practically secondary. I was I was 
so in on everything written on the page. I was following the dialogue more than I was following the art. I could see that. Yeah. And, and the, to Jason Aaron's credit, it's not a straightforward story. There's a lot of things going on in the shadows that he's not shoving down your throat. Right. Like it wasn't made explicitly clear why Nick Fury set up these teams and, and the, just the strange pairings that, mm-hmm. that he, that, that he made like Frank Castle working with Dr. Strange. That's just weird. So I'm thinking there's something in the formation of the teams that matters to the to the big picture, and we don't know what the big picture is. The the uh, Nick Fury is brought in because, like like uh, I forget one of the characters says, like you know the Avengers aren't murder police. Right, Captain America said it. Well, the, Captain America the, yeah, says the, that. Yeah, yeah. This is not our bag. We we, we fight huge universe. I just want to get to the truth. Events and and where this is basically a murder mystery. Who did this? Yep. Um, and it's come down to, well, it, it's, there's a very short list of people that actually knew about the Watcher to begin with, which I find strange, but okay, I'll give him that. Um, two, he had to infiltrate the, the Watcher's base on the moon. Getting to the moon is a problem alone. Two, getting into the base undetected is a problem. So it's, it's a character who is smart, powerful, cunning, and has the ability to take out you know, a small G God. Mm-hmm. So, so who is it? I don't know, but I'm, I'm guessing I, I'm Jason Aaron's love for the orb extends even to his skin. Doesn't he have a tattoo of the orb? If he doesn't, I, don't I want one. I mean, he said on our show that he loves eyes. He's got tattoos of eyes. All he, yes. And he, and he, he used, loves he used the, the orb in his run of ghost rider. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a given, but and the the orb is on the cover of what is it number two? Well, not on number two because it's just a dude in a hood, and surrounded by our heroes with headshots and Nick Fury in the right. corner. But you said it's a but given. Whole, like Ghost Rider's fucking Rogues Gallery is one character. No, but the orb is one of the best. Yes, characters. it is. I agree. So, I go. agree. And just the general conceit of original sin, even the marketing strategy with well, the orbs, yeah. the, the the eyeballs. eyeballs. And, and the fact that the Watcher's eyes got taken, I, I would love if he made the big bad of the story, the orb. That would be so cool. I, I love that character. Mm-hmm. Just visually, he's, I, I think, in a class well, by himself. I mean, I, that's, that's a strong visual punch when you got a guy whose head is an eyeball. And I, my first experience with the orb, was in that giant size treasury edition where you had Spider-Man teaming up with Ghost Rider. The orb was the big bad of that story. And he took issue. his helmet off and you, you basically, his, his head was road pizza because he, he crashed, <laughs> he crashed his motorcycle, basically skid on his head for as far as he could. And, and so the eyeball hides the deformity, but it's, uh, so that was my, for, experience with the character and I just I mean I've, I've loved him from the get go and, and just to see him pop up wherever and and see him in, in Aaron's Ghost Rider which you know I, I believe Chris told us how great that was and the uh, and, and now the and, <laughs> and now you know if he's going to show up in, in Original Sin and I mean that that just bumped this up to one of the greatest series of all time but it, it is a uh, I love the orb is basically what I'm trying to say yeah he's great um 
I think the panel with the heroes at the diner, the well, right when they're getting up to go and the art in the, Natasha's oh, back, that panel's gorgeous. You just think absolutely gorgeous. gorgeous. No, just just the body language. I mean, you get to see front and back. It, the way he positioned her on that page was just great. The the full panel of uh, Frank Castle is that is fantastic. Yeah, that master best images I've seen Diodata do. Yeah, but I got to say there were some pages where I think Diodato laid uh relied on the digital a little too heavily. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is not the Avengers his recent work on Avengers which I thought yeah, he did use digital, but he blended it in a way where not only didn't it matter because it was like foliage and stuff, but he did it convincingly. It didn't stick out. It wasn't a red flag. There are certain panels in here where I'm like, yeah, I see what you did there. And, and that, uh, I don't, to use one of David's lines, that kind of yanked me a little bit. It jostled me. It didn't pull me out of the story. It just jostled me around a little bit. I love that word. Uh, so no, I, I thought the art was, was fine. I, I got it. I told David when we were setting up that I think I reacted more favorably to the preview pages than I did the final pages. Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, uh, it's not bad by any stretch. It's just seeing it in black and white was better than, yeah, than we, seeing we it. Yeah, we all have these, um, our own peccadillos when it comes to art. And for me, I don't put Diodato in a class that I think warrants him being one of the top guys at Marvel. But certainly Marvel disagrees, right? I mean, he's, it seems like he is one of the go-to artists yes. when they want to do a big book. Like, like um, Land, like LaRocca. Which all three I would prefer move on. Right? I would th- take, I would take the Adato over the other two any day. As would I. Yes. No, as would I. I, I but, get what but you're I mean, um, and I think if I'm being fair, that has definitely hindered my general enjoyment of Marvel events in the last bunch of years. Um, yeah. their choice His of artists. Secret Avengers. Is too dark. Yeah, so, right. a lot of so, too dark. and maybe that's one of the reasons why I I, I enjoyed Infinity so much mm. because there were other guys doing it. But <laughs> um, right. but I I got to give the brother props when when he does when he when he rings the bell. I mean, it is clear as day. Like the the page where we first see the heroes in the diner, the position of the ceiling fan. The blade is covering Nick Fury's face mm-hmm. because you don't want to spill the beans right off the bat on the page. And then the next panel, we only see Scarlet Witch or um, Natasha, Cap, and, and Wolverine. Right. right? Then the, the, the same thing in, in the in the third panel, and then boom, he hits you right in the face with the fourth panel. That's a really smartly planned, well designed page. So I got to give the guy props. He he was just, I mean, that page is stunning. And it does what it's supposed to do. It, it, it leads you in and then wacko, you got this surprise panel at the end of the page. That's, it's just works. So I can't, I can't fault the guy for that, but I'm guessing we should, I mean, that Marvel probably puts a lot of stock in being able to depend on a guy's timeliness. Like the fact that Diodato is relatively fast. I'm sure factors sure. into the a lot of you know the choices for where he's used. I'm curious to know why why they took the car and not the jet to the moon. 
Because it looks cooler. Uh, well, dude, a car in space. I thought personally the car was the worst drawn thing in the book. <laughs> no, I mean that the, the wheels don't make when any they're sense. out the when they're out in space. When it's extended like that, the yeah. wheels don't make yeah. any sense. They they wouldn't extend like that. There's no that, that struck me as a case of of Diodato having no clue what a car is actually built like and just winged it. Which again, you know, art is a lot about. In artistic interpretation, but I think there's a difference between technical artistry yes. and what is and and the kind of things we see and, and enjoy most often in comics. And I feel like sometimes when it's like you hear a lot of guys joke about having to draw a horse, right? I, I think for some guys having to draw a car is difficult, and and I I think Diodato would have been better off not having to draw a flying car because he really messed up the way the wheel base comes out like terribly, but. It bothers me, I guess, because I noticed that. But for some, it probably was no was was of no mind at all. Yeah, and I can't say that I'm all that enamored with Diodato's Emma. No, I wasn't no, at no, all. No, no, definitely no. Not. I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, I mean, to be the pig that I've proven myself to be, her cans are way too small for Emma. And just just the, the face is just it doesn't it when, looks when like I looked at her wearing a white a white stripper wig it doesn't yeah, yes. yeah it didn't look like not Emma right. to Definitely me not. yeah uh, well, what do we think of the story because I, I mean I think we've made it clear that the art wasn't well, exactly grabbing us but I think it was Vince who said that um and I'm trying to f- I'm I'm looking at these pages now to see where it was so if it's so obvious but who did you say was feeding Black Panther information did I thought I? you did. If you didn't, then that's then that's great. Then we're all on the same page. No, I was at a loss there to because I was talking about who, right, who that was. The strings for both Black Panther and for the uh, the the bad guys. We'll call them for now. But okay, all right. Because I I thought I thought you may have mentioned someone, and I'm trying to. I've been reading rereading these pages to see what gave it away. Because homies in the shadows when he's talking to T'Challa. So yeah, I I assumed. That it was, um, no, Nick, okay. But, All right. You did, yeah, right. Which, which but, I don't think it is. No, but, but it, it, the fact that he was in the shadow, but he has the shards of the bullet. Like, how many people do they bring in on this? When he's talking to T'Challa, he's got the green glowing shards of the bullet in his mm-hmm. hand. So maybe he got there before the Avengers did. Where? To the crime scene. The person who's talking to Black Panther. Maybe he has shards because he was there first. Well, the Avengers found that. I mean, right, Cap showed up that and, and the... showed Fury the shards. Yeah. Maybe oh, this maybe person was there before the Avengers were and has his own shards. I don't know. There's, I think there's a lot of stock in the fact that we Absolutely. don't see his face. I mean, if they wanted us to see his face, I mean, they there's would no ceiling fan in this run. panel, so maybe it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, I, but Jason said about but, the story. I, th- I think the story's great. I agree. I once in a while I like a, a murder mystery. It's fun, and and when the murder mystery involves your your favorite Marvel characters, that's even more right. fun. And right. And remember when he was on the show, I asked him because we knew some of these people were going to be in the book, like Gamora and stuff. And I asked him if if he had total free reign about which characters he got to choose, or did they kind of say to him, "Hey, listen, you can pick who you want, but let's have one Guardian of the Galaxy, let's have one Avenger, and and." <laughs> Ten man pre- for his movie. Yeah, but he was pretty emphatic about the fact that he got to choose yeah. whoever he wanted. 
as long as they weren't. You're going to tell Jason Aaron no? Well, no. But again, well, I think a, that's he's a team player. It's, this is a corporate comic. I, I, right. It would be very right, rational right. to think that okay, you're going to have random team ups, and it just so happens that they're going to be from one guy from the Marvel Streets universe, one guy from the Avengers, one guy from the X Men, one guy from Guardians. I mean, that's a very rational thing to. And it also, and, and it is. I I agree with Jason because when when Lang showed up to talk to to meet with Emma, I'm like, well. Days of Future Past is coming out and Ant-Man is, is part of the phase three, phase two movie universe. So it's, I could very well see them saying we need some of these characters because we, by the time this is collected, we'll, we'll, we'll have movies with these characters and, and it's. Well, they're, they're nothing if well, not well, no, you're Come right. On. And, and the, um. Yeah, th- there's a reason why the Guardians of the Galaxy are in the trial. But there's. Gray. Yes, but that also, you know? that also made sense from a storyline perspective because of the sure. Shi'ar, because of Gladiator, because yeah. of, of Quill's dad. Um, but like Jason was talking about when, when we were talking to Aaron, if, um, it's, there may be some, some corporate or editorial mandate to say you need to use these characters, but we all know we've all read stories where we've had creators assemble a team featuring characters that they wanted to write. I, I, Spider-Man was an Avenger because Bendis wanted to write Spider-Man on the Avengers. Same thing with Wolverine. And it's right. like, you know, we're, we're scratching our heads because we're like, these are two characters of all the Marvel Universe characters who shouldn't be Avengers, but he wanted to write them and he got them and, and he told stories with them. So there are definite, there are pros and cons when, when you have somebody who's able to do what they want with the characters that are available. But I, um, I need to see more than this first issue because I don't – you have Doctor Strange and Punisher. You have Ant-Man and the White Queen. You have you have characters where I just – I don't know where it's going. So And I – Jason Aaron has – Gamora and Moon and Knight. And Moon Knight and, and Moon Knight and Winter fucking Soldier. And it's like – and you have – which is which is an interesting – I mean they could just do – a new Marvel team up with these two and, and you have, because just seeing them in the cockpit of the jet for the few panels, I got a kick out of it. Cause you have Moon Knight just yeah. talking his shit and, and Winter Soldier's basically just like, shut the hell up. And I got a kick out of that. And, and, uh, yeah. I, Jason Aaron has stock with me. I, I, he's built up enough credit where I'm, I'm in this, so I, I'm going to see where it plays out. But I mean, you know, he's, he's throwing a mindless one in here. You have thingins. That was the hook. Really? Well, and the way the mind, what the, I don't want to spoil it, but what the mindless one did and how he did it. Yes. yes. Pretty sweet, yeah. dude. Yes. That, that, and, that, and that, that was the was, hook. That was, um, as soon as I saw what was in his hand, I thought about the zero issue where, um, where Nova showed up at, Uatu's home, yep. and he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, and I'm like, and 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 Chung, some bitches leave nothing Chung, to chance. You know, purposely drew that in in the middle of the goddamn page, so you couldn't miss it. And and here it is yep. in a homie's hand, and I'm like, this is I'm I'm loving where we're going from one issue to the next so far out of these two. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd like Jason said I won't spoil the 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 final fate of of the character, but for me. Making a mindless one not so mindless. Right. <laughs> I mean, it, it's so simple when you say it. Like, why haven't they done it before? But just the fact that this thing is now a, a thinking 
feeling organism and not just a mindless one and and then all the lights start flick flicking on in all these mindless ones it's just like that's so simple but it's so yeah. smart it it just makes like wow look at this is neat it's cool and then that thing happens and he he won me over with that little sequence not that he had to try very hard but that that from that's the gas to propel me through the entire series that little scene with with the thing and spider-man and the mindless one and there you go thank you yeah <laughs> one issue you got me well two with the zero but yeah yeah as far as right, i mean the, right. the the main creative team proper yeah no i i really i enjoyed it i didn't know i i didn't see any preview pages i didn't know what the hook was i you know aside from seeing you know who shot the watcher i didn't know about this big murder mystery um but seeing Nick Fury and 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 a bunch of characters who you wouldn't normally see hanging out together, I um, I'm 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 all in. Yeah, still fascinating, still fun. But uh, if you put the two events, uh, at least the initial offerings of the two events side by side, it's night and day. Yes, and for I different mean, reasons. And, this, and it's there's right the the DC one is escapist just. Cotton candy, Action and, um, yeah, yeah. You know, you're hungry an hour later. Entertainment, where you got the Marvel one is so far. It, it's there's a lot to chew on. It's a pretty much full course meal so far. I, I appreciate I don't that. See that I, I'm glad no one's trying to copy. I don't want to say outdo, but copy the other. And, and you know, they're each trying to tell yeah. their own, their different time travel story or or murder. I just, you know, I'm. By the time I get to the end of Future's End, I'll maybe I'll see um, if I change my mind on it. But if you guys are going to be talking about it, then I I, I would at least like to yeah. check it out. Both enjoyable, yes. uh, different magnitudes and and for different reasons. But uh, I enjoyed them both. Cool. Yeah. All right. So here's what we're going to do right here. Um, we're going to take a little break. And I'm going to let y'all listen to an interview that I did with Alan D. Caesar from uh, Downfall Arts. So you can dig on this and we will be waiting for you yeah. right here. We'll be sitting in the same seats. We'll be waiting for you when you're done. So go listen to that. Okay, I am here with one Alan D. Caesar of Downfall Arts who publishes uh, A Labor of Love called Rena Rouge, or um, because of the character's dyslexia, she's sometimes known as Rena Rogue, and uh, he's going to tell you all about that, so uh, let's welcome Mr. Alan D. Caesar. I'm glad, glad to be on. Nice. Now let's start off um, where all good stories do at the beginning. Um, so the, we have a little Alan D. Caesar running around. And what was it that attracted you initially to making art? Initially, actually, there's this this comic. It ran in um, a video game magazine called Electric Gamers Monthly. It was okay. it was um, a little strip called um, uh, Shoe and Chan. And I guess for like a, a comic that would be or like a creator. That it would be akin to is um, I can't. This is bad because I can't remember the name of of the creator, but he did Milk and Cheese. 
Yeah, Evan Dorfman. Yes, yes. Uh, Norm Scott, he's the creator of Shoe and Chant, but it has a very much a milk and cheese kind of feel. It's that, that built up, up kind of like, like sporadicness and rage that kind of comes in, yeah. in those. And you, you know, now that you mention that, I can totally see that in, in Rena, that, that chaos that, that is just like dense, information heavy panels. And that's, that's Rena. I mean, uh, I was amazed at the amount of work you put into this. I, there, I, there's very little surface area of the, the panel that you do not fill with, with line. And it's, it, but it works. It's not just like a, you know, a, a vomitorium you know, right. of line. There's like, blah, I mean, you, it's, it's, it's chaos, but it's a controlled kind of chaos. And that, it, I just find it fascinating, but I'm sorry for interrupting oh, no, you. Okay. Um, yeah, that's really kind of, that, that's where, where I'd say it really started because, um, really I just kind of got, like, I, I love that series. It, it was a lot of that, like, you know, built up tension and, and rage, but mm-hmm. then a lot of, of exposition that was going on. It's kind of funny looking at those, those strips and like, sometimes like there's so many jokes just come, so many word panels that there's like, there's no room for background. There's no room for anything. It's just like, right. Um, and it was also, it was just weird, especially like looking at that stuff in comparison to what like, I guess something like Penny Arcade would be the, Something mm-hmm. I can say would be like the modern day, um, like video game strip comic. And it's just right. night and day in terms of like the difference there. And it's funny to see this really weird offbeat one being the kind of the grandfather of them all, at least in terms of like important ones. Now, uh, if I may ask, how old are you? I am 24. Oh man, <laughs> you guys. Guys, seriously, kill me. I'm I'm double your age, buddy. <laughs> and it's just like, wow, you have this kind of skill at 24. I hate you, but whatever. <laughs> let's just keep, let's just keep going. Um, yeah. Now, I, and you you mentioned Electronic Gaming Monthly too, and that's another thing about your work. It's very very steeped in gaming. Yes. 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 Um, we'll get into it once we, we jump into Rena, but you have a strong, I'm guessing, uh, based by what I see in the comic, that you have a really strong affection for Dungeons and Dragons. It's funny because I've never, ever gotten to play a single game because I've wow. never had anyone who wanted to play tabletop with me. You know, that's kind of funny because I bought, for years and years and years, I bought White Wolf's World of Darkness books. Uh-huh. I have at least three bookcases just filled with all of their product, and I have never, ever played a game. Never. <laughs> I, just, I, I found the world so compelling. Yeah. And the whole, like, the facts and the figures and the stats and, you know, the, the bonuses and all that stuff, and just, just the, the, the various races within just the vampires alone are so compelling. I found it really cool, so I would buy their, their books and, and devour them, but I never ever played a game. That's really odd that you would, same thing, uh, happen to you. Yeah, it's kind of, um. Because, I mean, 
the people listening, in case you you know you you don't know, in in the Rena Rouge comic, various instances will pop up in in the in the narrative, and he will uh, Alan will uh accompany them with say like little stats like plus three ring of power or something like that or he'll give character stats of a character after they walk out of a certain building and they've been subtly changed in some way it's like so their stats have have uh uh changed in light of this event it's it's really cool and it, it just makes you it pulls you deeper into the story yeah and there is with that work there's this kind of it's a very loose kind of weird script bible but it is very much there and i i do always kind of like to refer to that in terms of like you know it's a very crazy world but there is there has but there is like an underpinning that you know there is some some method to the madness even if it is still to most people right now um give them the uh the cliff's notes on on uh, Rena Rouge and and her world, um, it, the the place is called um, nowhere. That's one of the lands, actually. Yes. That's- oh, okay. So that was uh, see, because I'm in uh, as uh, you can tell, I'm new to your work. I've only read issue uh, thirty seven and thirty eight. Here's here's the crazy like how how it all lays out. Thirty seven is the start, and how the release is going to go is is every time is it's going to go forward and backwards. So right now I'm working on, well, right now I'm doing several books. I'm doing, um, I'm recoloring 38 to make it, you know, big and colorful like 37 is. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, we'll get into that later because I was thinking something as I was reading it that, yeah, I'm sorry, keep um, going. <laughs> and then working on 39 and then I've started planning out what will be uh, volume 30 and how it will go is is that 37 onward is Rena's story but as I started to develop this world I realized that really the main character is the world and all these characters there's always mm-hmm. back you know little things that are going on as the story develops you're going to see more and more of these side characters having their own, like, adventures and plots that kind of, they just come in and out where, like, the camera is usually focused on our main cast, but all these other characters have, ultimately, their own equal important story. Ah, that's a very non-linear way to approach this. Yeah. That's interesting. Very cool. Because um, uh, I love role-playing games video games the role playing uh, genre and one of the biggest criticisms about a game the the i think the worst thing you could say about a, a role playing game is that it's oh the gameplay is very linear people people don't seem to like that in in a role playing yeah. game and and that's very interesting that you would approach this this huge story uh, non linearly as if has had has all this come to you uh, in one big chunk or does it does it spring up as a result of stories that you've already written? It kind of springs up of, around stories. But it is like the world is ever evolving. I mean, initially, what this whole thing was going to be was like a couple of little four-page strips in like a school newspaper. And they actually didn't run the first strip. And then I said, fuck it. And then I made it the full the full you know, first issue and 
and then like expanded out there. And it's just been this weird snowballing effect to where like I've been able to like bring in a lot of the ideas I care about and say like ultimately, ultimately like I'm going to go to different time periods in, in the world, which kind of give me the ability to write stories that aren't fantasy stories, but are, mm-hmm. are set like, like how the world got this way, right? Like, right now I'm also, like, it was like I started this very sporadic comic literally two weeks ago, um, that's going to be a black, or a, a colorblind friendly coloring book comic. So it's, <laughs> it's going to come packaged with like a blue, light blue and yellow, um, crayon. And. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be this story about how Detroit, the world is actually ours, just very, like, due to a very absurd series of events has been changed. But um, how Detroit had, I mean, it, it sprang from me reading about how the mass exodus of people from Detroit, they've left all these pit bulls. A lot of people had pit bulls, not as, not as pets, but as guard dogs and, you know, that whole, like, the sad truth of People using animals as, as, you know, fighting dogs and guard dogs. Right. But they've left all these dogs. And now there's all these domesticated, I mean, some of them are violent, but then some of them are just like normal dogs just roaming the streets. And it's almost gotten to the point where the population is equal. There's almost as many like stray dogs and pit bulls as there are humans in Detroit. And the basis of this story is kind of this absurdist look of like, if it continues along this path and pit bulls start running Detroit, at what point do, does like Detroit just suddenly get run by pit bulls and what if they start doing a better job at, at it? <laughs> uh, and the, the dogs in this story are not, they're not purebreds, they're, they're hybrids, right? Yeah. They're, they're, uh, Pitbull bear hybrids, I think I noticed on your, uh, on the oh, Tumblr, the ba- right? the Bacrons, they're, right. they're, they're different. Yeah, this is where, it, this is where it kind of starts getting, again, this weird Bible of things that, like, once more of the story is released, it, it makes more and more sense, but they're actually, um, French short-haired sheepdogs. They're, it's a very old breed. That is what um, Rottweilers and Dobermans are bred from. Okay. And I used I had one as a child, so like I'm very endeared to that breed. That's why it's the my logo is the dog with the mohawk. That's mm-hmm. that's it's um that's the breed of it. So there and the narrative is that um or that the there are just so many layers to the story and and part of it is that, like, they're the ones producing the books. If you look in the back in, like, the special thanks page, it'll say, um, these books were put forth by, or, like, deemed to be printed, or something like that by, like, Yeah, Allie. I have it right. Yeah, yeah uh, this comic was sanctioned by General De Brigade Allais, or Alley, yes. right? And then you keep going, and it's... Um, by Alan D. Caesar of Nonfile Arts for Tweedy, and you do your special thanks. I noticed Jeffrey Brown's in Yes, there. I actually did the the first one in a class of his. Oh, nice. Yeah. 
But so it's the dogs actually telling this story. Yes, which kind of like oh, that is so. If cool. you start think, I mean, one of the undertones of it is is once you really start to realize like they're the ones printing the story and telling the story, you have to think like, are they telling it completely? Right, because history is written by the exactly. winners. Yeah. So there's a lot of that going on, and and we'll even like volume thirty is not focused on them. It's focused on kind of their their um, kind of their enemies. It's kind of it draws back to like these French sheep dogs and how they were naturally used to drive the wolves out of France back in the Middle Ages and almost obliterated all the wolf population in France. Not just the sheep's dogs, but, you know, the farmers and such actually hunting them. So that, that's kind of become like this thing in, in this world where um, wolves and the sheep dogs do not get along. But to have, but volume 30 will be a story about this cast of wolves. And I'm still trying to, um, I mean, I'm still working on that one right now, but to have a story that is so focused on who is essentially the enemy of the people who are actually creating the book. Right. Because in issue 37, and I, I wish the people listening at home could see this thing because it's a monster. It, it's uh what is it? Um, a, it looks like 12 by 17 or 18. What, what are the proportions of that this thing? thing is, I want to say 10 and a half by 15 Okay, it's big. It's big and um, full color, very, very heavy paper. Uh, And the thing that amazed me the most about it is, you it looks to be hand bound. Yes, because you you, you're right. You put these the the pins in there, three three pins like like a loose leaf uh, binder, only heavier. And the the neat thing about this is because it's so imposing in size. I mean, you can't if, if this is in the room and it's it's out in 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 the open, you're not going to look at anything but this. It's just very attractive. But the cool thing about it is because you use these pins, it also that kind of dictates where this thing can be stored. It's it's not going to um, work well with a lot of bookcases. I mean, you're going to have to find a very special place to store this just because of the pins and the size. And I'm thinking, that's really smart. It it demands its own location. I mean, the book dictates where it's going to be stored in a sense. that That's awesome. It, it's almost as if there's this secondary, if the art itself had um, some kind of, of uh, power over what is done with it. That's that, neat. Yeah, I hadn't thought of. I mean, I've I've gotten a lot of different comments. Most people do really like the binding. It's and, great, and and that was another one of the things uh, I was thinking I, after I finished thirty seven because you know you have to read things in order when you're a comic book person. That's the reason why they're numbered. Yes. So I get I get into thirty eight, and it seems like your enthusiasm for this these stories and these characters ramped up even more between 37 and 38 because while 38 is of smaller statue stature than 37 it's it's about you know it's 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 a it's a square fairly square size but it's like maybe half the surface area of 37 but it's so much more dense i mean there's a lot of air to the panels in 37 well as it, as far as air 
in your work goes because like I said, it's dense. But when you get to 38, it's like this super concentrated storytelling where the panels are just dripping with detail and, and lots of it. And it's, so ha, did your enthusiasm for this story ramp up anywhere between these two issues or did you get like, did, was it, um, uh, accolades from, from readers or opinions or just like just the, the overall process of making comics? Did you get even more excited about it? Well, yeah, what happened was is that there was about a month long gap between when I finished the first one and started the second. And during that time, I just kind of realized, like, this is right. Um, mm-hmm. There's actually two other stories, or two other full-length books that I had done before um, this, before I started Rena, that is also extremely dense. Like, I've, I've been working on this style for a couple of years now and, and really nailing it down. And then it was really just this story where it's like I really... I understand these characters. I understand. I'm. Ha- I enjoy doing it. It just the ideas just kept coming, and from something that was just going to be this little, you know, couple of four page strips, which is why in thirty seven that first little chapter is four pages. During the when I was doing thirty eight, I realized that okay, I can. I know. Like, trying to make it a full-length comic, saying, okay, each chapter is going to be eight pages, there's going to be three chapters, how how mm-hmm. to really do this. And I kind of feel that 30, 38 could be, if you compared it to how modern day com- most modern-day comics are written, it's a graphic novel's worth of content. Oh, sure. Yeah, it, it really is. And um, I, I have to ask, how long... Did thirty-seven take? Thirty-seven. Um, the initial creation of it took around two hundred and fifty hours, and then including the printing of it, I would and coloring, I would add another two hundred and fifty. So about five hundred hours. It's offset printed, right? Yes. Yeah, I print. I print okay. them myself. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. That one was done on a little um, multi press. Uh, printer, so one color, so like doing one color at a time. Each each page is, you know, a fluorescent CMYK, mm-hmm. um, and it takes about a day for the ink to dry. So like, basically, I was doing like ten ten plates a day to finish that out, and so it took about three weeks to print, I guess, to not get too technical and all that bullshit. But um, right. So as far as the do-it-yourself aesthetic goes, I mean, this is completely done by hand. Everything. Everything. The only thing I have not done is I get I, I get people to read over it because I am actually dyslexic. So a lot, a lot of the yeah. like that's why Rena Rouge and Rena Rogue is that on the cover, like there was a black and white of the thirty-seven that was a, or at least in the original art for the cover, it's supposed to be Rena Rogue. And I switched the letters, and it's Rena Rouge. Oh man! So then I said, and I had printed this this nice like um, metallic cover. Kind of, it, it looks better than thirty eight. I think thirty eight's metallic cover doesn't. It's too that silver is too light. But 
If you hold it just at the right angle, though, it it, pops. it does. That is true. Yeah, and that I think that's that's the neat part about it is at first glance it looks just like uh, you know a nicely screen printed image, but then as you're manipulating the book and getting a better um, view of the art, this secondary layer just kind of like fades into view depending on how you turn it. I think that's really subtle and 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 neat. Thank you. Yeah, I've I've had yeah. I've had both. Before I even like got the book ready, like when I first showed off those covers, some people were like, you know, you should reprint that. And I really couldn't in time for when it needed to be released. So mm-hmm. like that was kind of the decision I had to make was like, no, I do like this, you know, the the fade in, fade out effect. Because um, yeah. that, that's another thing. It's like, again, with, with the cover of the first one, a lot of people just say like, oh, this mistake is just irreversible we have to reprint and uh, and for me it's like no this world accepts mistakes and it embraces them and it it runs with them well i think the warts and all approach works very well with the with your your style of of drawing because um it it you do have a very uh i don't want to say art brute because it's more <laughs> represent no it's more representational than that but you you have a very endearing almost folksy style yeah that 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 allows for those kind of instances and and and, and it actually works to your strengths to have the you know the unplanned for in there and i think i think that just it just adds to the world it really does um and as far as printing goes we'll get to this uh in a little bit but 38 is is almost um an object to art itself because you have included in in the package the um inside front and inside back covers are mirror images of the first and last pages me- meaning they're backwards yes. and and you say you know if you read this backwards you're going to uh invoke you know the dark one but you have little specially printed items tacked into the inside and back covers that again like the front cover you can only read them if you tilt them at a certain angle like on the inside front cover there's a very dire warning to the reader warning reading this book in reverse will summon the dark one and it's it's really startling because at first glance it just looks like a black um piece of paper that has has been adhered to the inside front cover but then again when you tilt it there it is and it's that is it's subtle and it's cool and on the inside back cover you have another warning printed much the same way but you also have a sticker or the the crest yes. for for the the NILWDT which is the Newer Illinois Lindworm Department of Transportation and uh to get into the story a little bit Rena is a lindworm rider and hers being this this big noodly worm named Barnaby. So uh, I'm guessing that is like in this world, the Lindworm riders perform a specific function. Yeah, they. Um, yeah, it was kind of as I was developing the world that it, it was this like you know what is the transportation um, vehicles in it and like what if you know what if your horse could talk or what would what if your horse was like your best friend. So, so the lind the lindworm riders are like essentially taxi cabs in this world. Pretty much, like I, you know, to build it up, you make I make it sound like they're rangers or something, really. Right. Yeah, I was gonna say paladins or rangers or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, in reality, it's more like you know public transportation, or um, you know, I kind of I kind of view them as like 
if you have a motorcycle license, these would be like the motorcycles of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's something I, I really like. It's this idea of like grandiose mixed with, with really kind of mundanity. That's kind of why like, oh, I need to get my license renewed. So we have this chapter where they go to a DMV. Right. Well, that, that completely fleshes out the world. I mean, if you, if your story was just all major beats, it, yeah, it would be interesting, but it wouldn't have the resonance of something that comes with the, uh, you know, the quiet moments and the, the little reasons for things happening. And, and, and like you said, in 38, you got a whole story out of the fact that Rena's license has expired. Yeah. Yeah. And that plays like, I'm 37 through 39, once they're all complete. Um, that'll be like the first major kind of arch where I'm going to then try to package that into its own, you know, I guess graphic novel sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And that story, I think, will really nail home kind of the point, kind of at least the major theme of how these books were created that embrace the mistake sort of thing. Right. And it will... But that, that license, it plays a major part even all the way up into the last pages of that, where once you read the end of that last book, or the, you know, the last couple pages, you will flip back to the first couple pages of 37, and you will notice something that will basically just like, you'll hit your head, and you'll think like, how the hell did I miss that? Ah, I, my my major question at the beginning of thirty beginning of thirty seven is, where did the goat come from, and and why is why is she so desperately trying to bring it to the the duke? The how how that works is, um, I mean, there's that whole thing with with um, with the basically like milk population. There are no more cows. Um, right. And the goats, so like everyone drinks goat milk now, which is kind of like, again, like this weird benign thing. Right, right. Because you make a point of, of having Rena ask what a cow is. She says, what the hell's a cow? Yeah. You know, she has no idea. And, and another thing you, you mentioned is that the, um, there are these creatures that are, um, goat troll hybrids. Right. Yeah. And the, the, the milk from these creatures is terrible. And, and has created a whole bunch of problems. So it makes sense now that the goat, so they do use the goats for milk. Yes. Ah, okay. So, yeah, the, it's kind of funny because, again, the story changed so much from being like, initially it was going to be, again, these four little chapters and the first two, four parts were going to be her delivering that goat. And now her delivering that goat has been this you know, what is essentially these three, three issue like saga and everything that, um, occurs from A to B is ultimately, I think, a lot more important than simply the, her delivering the goat. And I'm kind of struggling with like, do I want to get rid of the goat? Cause initially it was like, oh, it's going to make some, some like noises and that's going to be cute. But then it kind of like grew into its own character. Right. The, the goat's pretty addled. I, I love the comments. I mean, he's just, you, you could tell, not exactly right in the head. Yes. <laughs> and, and it's very cool. You have it positioned within a bag of holding. Yeah. 
that 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 Rena carries around. And at very critical times in the story, he'll either like hand her a weapon, she'll ask it for a weapon, and he'll hand it to her. So the bag is is basically contains all of the things that you would need as a you know, a creator of, of, of the narrative to propel that story forward. And it, so it works really well. Yeah. I'm, yeah. It's, some, it's actually your bag of holding. It, it's not yeah, it really is. Cause that's the, <laughs> that's the thing that can help me explain all that. Like why there's so many costume changes and why there's, you know, all those random things that do occur. It is a nice, like, um, helpful out, I guess, or a helpful explanation to that. It, there, there's just such a cohesion to this world. I mean, like I said, it's it's extremely chaotic, and um, uh, you 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 take the reader and just fling them headfirst into this place, and and I think it's a great way to do it because, like uh, um, a child first reading comics, uh, you absorb all the various details and the information about the characters and the locales and 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 the story because you're new to it, you're fresh, and and the, you don't have caption boxes that say okay this is who this is and this is what she's doing and we're going here to do this it's basically you're picking it up as you go along and so there's a a natural feel to the story and as as someone new to it myself i just wanted to know so much about all of these these various creatures and characters like what are their functions and you have you eventually reveal some of that but i mean not quickly and and I think that's to your credit because you get to experience this world along with the characters within it. Yeah, and that was very much intentional. I think I've seen a bunch of people work on on developing worlds and work on their comics, and I've seen so many people like so enamored with with the worlds they create, but then ne- they run out of steam before they ever tell a story, or they'll do like the opening chapter and. It then it nothing occurs. Like they do a huge opening chapter where you don't even see your main character, and then they never get to that. And that's not to say you know that they don't have a great world thought up in their head or that they don't have you know very awesome story that they're going to tell. But I think that that's personally a bad way to tell a story to start off like that and some like. Again, even if you like look at Star Wars, it's like, well, we started with four. And as we learned, like, if they had done one through three first, that would have been kind of, you know, we wouldn't have gotten there. It's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's almost, uh, like planting a seed in a, in a, in, you know, a beautifully manicured pot and you, you take all the great pains to make sure the pot's all nice and the, the dirt is, is, is well tended to and you plant that seed, then you walk away from it. You know, they, they, they're, they're enamored with the whole creation of the, the, the plant, so to speak, but they don't tend to its growth. They just don't nurture it and, and, and watch it grow. They just walk away. And, uh, you, you're doing a lot of nurturing here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and one thing I was really, really, uh, pleased with was the map in 37. Uh, if there's one thing that gets me going, it's a map within a story. Cause that tells me, aside from the fact that I just like maps, that you have this planned out. You, 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 you know this world. You, you've thought about it to the extent where you actually sat down and delineated where these places are in comparison to each other. And it, it, it I'm feeling here that this is just a small slice of this. It place. is. And that map is just, I've, I've actually done a print 
the map is a little bit larger than what I'm able to draw there. So I did a print of that that region, which is where these mm-hmm. three stories take place. And you can, you know, mark down where the story starts at that gate, follow it to where they go, and, you know, draw a line from the events that occur through these three issues that will be made. And then the next story will have a new map. So every, every like, grouping of, you know, every couple issues that kind of is their own overarching thing will have its own map. And then once the entire series is completed, you will have basically your map of the of the landscape in the world. Nice. Um, so, okay. Now, when you sit down to plan out these stories, and and you're you know when you're writing the narrative, how much space do you allow for um, the stream of consciousness in 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 the actual drawing process? I um, usually. I know what the be- what the ending will be and what the beginning will be, and I and I structure myself where I, every chapter, at least now, has to be fit within eight pages. Um, I think that gives me enough room where I don't get it. Challenge me. It challenges me to lay out my pages to where I can fit all the content of every chapter within. You know, sometimes it's seven, sometimes it's nine, but. It all, you know, it has to be somewhere in there. If it's a, if like I really want two splash pages, like what occurs at the end of 38, and I don't have as much story for like the middle chapter, that'll be seven pages and the last one will be nine. But, um, that sort of thing, like I know a couple beats. And then really I write about, rarely do I write more than two pages at a time. I'll Mm -hmm. usually like maybe three and then, and it'll all just be dialogue. I won't even, I'll do like thumbnails of what, what it looks like. And there's a ton of decisions being made right there on the page. And I can do that because it's just me writing and me drawing, but suddenly I'll figure something out even to where I'm inking it. There'll be a little thing that I didn't even pencil in there. That's like, no, you know, ink that in. There, yeah, there's a lot of like fluid decisions like that where if you just look at like the dialogue scripts, they're a little bit bland, but then mm-hmm. like all the, the side comments or the switching stuff around to make it sound a little bit better, um, done literally at the last minute, um, I think is what really gives the story a lot of its strength and a lot of its flavor. Mm-hmm. Now, how about character design? Do you ever let that go until the actual penciling stage and, and let the character decide itself what it wants to be, or are all of these characters roughed out well ahead of time? Some of them are, some of them aren't. Um, usually, and some of them kind of change and evolve, kind of like I think you would see with any with anyone, any comic. Like um, Harvey the Giant Puka, he he definitely looks different the first time you look at him and what he looks like um by the end of 38 he's he's a little bit more round he's a little bit more cartoonish where that mm-hmm. first time you're introduced to him he's a little bit more rabbit shaped right um, which is appropriate for a character called Harvey yes right <laughs> yeah that was actually that's in there my that's my mother's favorite film and also a, a favorite film of mine so nice 
see, we're, we're getting into the inner workings of this thing. This is what I love. Yeah. I, I love this part. Um, let's see. Uh, again, uh, and then I'm, I'm still looking at 37 and the color is, is, is striking. So you said that you are going to repurpose 38 in the same proportion as 37 and print it in yes. color? Yeah. Interesting. Because as I was saying before, one of the things I thought would be spectacular in color is the, uh, the ship made entirely of rope. Ca- uh, Captain Emberly Giddy, uh, has a, uh, a flying ship that's made entirely of rope. And, and when you say it, it doesn't have the same impact as if you actually saw it on the page. Because the, the amount of lines that, that you must have had to drop down for this, it's stunning to me that number one, there must be a, a point where you enter this zone when you're penciling, when you're actually, probably when you're inking and, and you're doing all those lines where you just turn off the world and just let those lines flow because there's a bazillion of them on that page. Pretty, yeah, pretty much. It, it does. And that's the thing I really enjoy the most is getting into that zone and being like, there's, yeah, there's not much thought to that. There's, you know, there's more thought to, to, you know, drawing the shapes and getting that stuff all right. But the texturing is, so so free flowing a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And one of the the very uh, biggest components of your work f- as as a, a viewer is pattern. Yes. Yeah, it's very steeped in pattern. You use it as ground. You use it as foreground, background. I mean, there there are a lot of visual repetitions in this book, and it that makes me happy for some reason because. Um, I, I don't know why. I'm guessing it has something to do with the psychology of the pattern. The, you, because you expect the next iteration in that pattern. And when you see it all laid out on the page, it just, it, there's a very comfortable feeling to it. Very soothing feeling. But it is still chaos. I have to stress that. There, there, there's another component of your work is it's very chaotic and very exciting. Yeah, it's kind of, um, I I always say like the reason why it, it is it's also a little bit therapy for me because I also I I have um, OCD and it was it was a lot worse um, before I started doing stuff in this style and mm-hmm. I'm since then have been able to function a lot better <laughs> so I, but it, you command attention on the page the uh, it it's just uh, from from a uh, the standpoint of someone who did not make this art looking at it there's a there's a strong voice of authority here oh yeah which i mean that's i guess that's kind of what even i mean like ocd is a very controlling disease but it's also a lot of order it's a weird like you know you things have to be done in a certain way and to like grab that that um thing or that you know that whatever the fuck it is in my brain that's telling me to do that and say nope we're going to use this for good now we're not going to use this to do a bunch of bullshit we're going to use this to structure this crazy ass world that that's Mm -hmm. the result you get right but i noticed you don't approach each page like the one before yeah no that so so there there is a process but a process but you're not bound by it um, some pa- some pages will be extremely dense with like let's say twenty panels. Uh, the next page will be very airy with this um, like a, a triangular motif in the center. Um, you switch up panel um, 
borders, let's call them, where so- sometimes there'll be this interlocking system of um, pieces, uh, let's call them, with the the you know with the circular um, corners. Then the next page, maybe your panel borders will be rope, or um, a page after that, there'll there'll be um, that uh, motif you use with the I don't even know how to describe it. The they look like entrails to me with those conical structures poking out of them and it's just it's very refreshing that you do not when 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 one turns the page one does not know what to expect from this book because you switch it up so many times yeah that's yeah it was it i mean it's exciting for me to do that and Mm -hmm. like the comics i did before this a lot of them were the classic nine panel layout which is like that that layout works like there's no argument with that. You can tell a damn good story with the classic nine panels. Um, but, yeah. you know, Alan Moore proved that. Um, and many other creators and artists yeah. have. Keith Giffen yes. puts that, yeah. Um, so for myself, a lot of it was like, I think, you know, like I think I can do a more interesting story because, like, I, it was kind of like, okay, I'm, uh, I understand the nine panels. Let's not do nine panels now. Let's do something different. Let's do something fun. Um, mm-hmm. Let's do something where every single page can stand on its own. And, and I think the most stunning example of that kind of mindset is when uh, the one page in 37 where the cactus is is running towards the portal. And and you actually play with the way people read comics. You have in the, in the, there's a, in the top panel, you have the cactus loping and it's a cactus in a pot for for the listeners it's that's the character it's a little tiny cactus in a in a pot and it's it's bounding across the panel which is a long horizontal so you're re- when you're reading it you you go left to right but in the next sec- sequence of panels you read right to left and in the third you read left to right again so and you're following this cactus as it's going across and it goes through this uh system of tubes and you follow the cactus through the tube and then down, and it's just it it uses the page not only as as like a um you know to delineate this this the physicality of this world, but you're also playing with the mechanics of 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 sequential storytelling. Yeah, because there are yeah there are ground rules you kind of have to apply by. So you give your reader any sort of um, like I know the way that. People naturally read comics. So mm-hmm. once, and once you understand that, that's when you can start to mess around with stuff and, and right. think like, how, how far can you push it or how far can you make people play and experiment with the way they take in stuff without it just being completely, you know, here's this crazy layout I did, but none of it makes any sense except for me. That would be a failure. But if I can make right. it where, it does, um, you know, there's something for you to grab onto and like, okay, I'm learning a new way to read, but it makes sense, then mm-hmm. that that's a success. Right. And another example of that technique is um, Brian Chippendale's Maggots. Have you seen no, that? Happened. Yeah, he has this snake-like reading pattern that he employs through the whole story where, again, you have to start from the right and snake down and just, and it's, there are some pan, uh, pages with like 50, 60 panels. 
Yeah, uh, it's it's a chore to read. There's also a, a ribbon bound into the book, and you know, thank God for that <laughs> because you you, it, you can't just sit down and read maggots in one shot. It's it's too hard. But uh, and going back to this page with the cactus again. You, you reached, you might as well have just reached out of the page and grabbed my heart because as the cactus bounds across the room on a shelf in the background, you see my holy trinity in, in jars. You have, <laughs> you have Zappa's soul, uh, Captain Beefheart's heart and Wild Man Fisher's head. And I was like, this, I, I love this one. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he speaks, you spoke to me with that because I mean, Zappa's my, my man. And it, it's just yeah, all the freaks on one page. And as you go across, you see, you know, the 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 ghost, the the skull ghost from um, the yeah. misfits, and you have Sam Hain there. So there's again, there's an, another uh, big component of your work is music, Absolutely. right? Because Rena, in the first couple pages where we're introduced to her, she's singing uh, "Because the Night," yeah, the, the old uh, Springsteen, Patti Smith song, and uh, another favorite of mine. So um, the Ramones are in here. Yeah, the spirit of the Ramones uh, at one point. Um, so you, music is a huge part of this. Uh, but is that just the character of Rena, or is that you're putting your likes into Oh, the no, too? I don't think there would be a way that I couldn't appreciate music and put all that stuff in there. I mean, okay. it, I don't think it would be as heart, heartfelt, at least, if I didn't have like a genuine love of all that music. Right. So you basically are splaying on every page Alan D. Caesar. I mean, this, this story, these characters, this world is, is, is a fictional construct. Yeah. But it's also who you are. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. And it's even like all the, all the main human characters are actually based, um, off, off close friends of mine who are actually all artists themselves, but all different. Like to look at their stuff, it's kind of, I mean, it's like, you know, their stuff is not my, my stuff. Like, um, I don't think anyone's stuff is, is <laughs> like your stuff, <laughs> but that's a good oh, thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's like, I'm happy that, and yeah, I'm also happy that all my friends are all generally great artists and have their own sense of style. Cause I feel like bad if like I was cribbing off them or any, in any way, mm -hmm. um, now, while we're on the subject of of art, um, have you received any kind of formal training? Um, illustrate illustrating wise, like drawing. I have only taken mm -hmm. a single class um, in actual actual drawing. I have taken a bunch of animation classes, um, okay. but none of them. I mean, like I was trained in how to animate, but I was not trained in you know how to actually draw. Right. So in, in your formative years. Oh, in formative uh, years, I wasn't given any training. Like I did go to, oh. I did go to art school, but what I learned there was, um, you know, I did learn, I did take a bunch of comics classes. I did take a lot of printing, print media classes and, you know, learned how to do offset. So mm. like I'm certainly not in the category of simply like a completely um, self, self-taught artist. It would be unfair for me to, to claim myself as such. Right. But at the same time, a lot of the stuff I took on my, my own and, and 
didn't really like, especially in formative years, like I was in art classes at, at school, but a lot of the teachers just stood back. They gave me little instruction, if none. And just like, this, this guy does his own thing and we just let him because he's very (laughs) enthusiastic. I think that that probably worked to your benefit because um, that that um, I'm of the mindset that um, formal training has a way of of dampening and squelching the 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 uh, the honesty behind creative expression. Um, you, You are taught certain ways to hold the brush, certain ways to drag it across the canvas, hold the pencil like this. Oh, don't do that. That's that's not how we do it. And I, I don't think how we do it. I mean, I don't think there should be any rules to this stuff. Right. Well, yeah, because I think everyone finds their their own way of doing it. I think even like really well or, you know, really like industry illustrators, people who are really good at representing um, um, like actual forms and forms and figures and can like, you know, produce um, a bird in like a photorealistic fashion. They even have their own way of doing things. They, right. Um, and that, that's another, I think that's a very important part of the process, at least in terms of artistic growth is say you do have formal training. You, you know, you know, as well as, as I do as an illustrator, you absorb a certain amount of that stuff and you cast off all the stuff that you feel like you don't need and and once you find that artistic voice that you may have arrived there with the help of that formal training but once once you find that that voice that that unique way of expressing yourself that's all you absolutely Be, because you you you've jettisoned everything that you feel is unnecessary or just didn't work for you and and you settle into that groove and i think it's the groove that comes from the realization that you know you're going to do it your way the most comfortable way you you can find of expressing yourself that's all that all comes from the self yeah maybe there's a trace of of the the tutelage there uh in terms of you know the process but as far as that voice that all comes from inside that that can't be taught yeah absolutely um there's actually um going on that and this is something that i found during my time at at college that I felt was incredibly, incredibly detrimental to the creative process wasn't actually the instruction of like, this is how you hold the brush. This is because I, I, I went to a school that did not, um, they weren't big on that. They weren't big mm-hmm. on formal training like that. They were very, they're very much a conceptual art school, but a particular, they had an idea of what they deemed was good conceptual art and trying to impose that onto their students, I thought was the most damning, um, like destructive thing possible. I thought that was incredibly destructive. And I, you know, because then you just get all this work from people who are trying to find their voice and, and, you know, young people are very impressionable and you, if you have someone that you, that it's like a professor that you respect and then they tell you to do, um, this there and not all the professors were like that. Of course, everyone is different, but 
you know, trying to push you in one, one way or the other, um, that really isn't you. And right. Like that, that was very, um, my observations of that were, you know, this is incredibly destructive. Like half the people in this class just did a bunch of stupid shit that they really don't care about. Right. And I, you're right because the studio style is, is important only to one thing and that's the studio. Exactly. Right. So when you have a group of people like say Pixar, Pixar has a studio style. Yeah. That serves Pixar really well because that group of people as an entity get, you know, um, recognized for a certain way of presenting their stories. But for students to be imposed with a, in a sense, a studio style, that's not good. Yeah, not good. Because they, 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 they can never find that voice that's unique to them. I had a teacher in school, uh, a fashion, uh, illustration teacher who was extremely connected. Um, if you expressed interest in being a fashion illustrator, he was your best friend. I mean, this guy could get you in. And once he heard that, um, say this student wanted to go for animation or I expressed interest in being a comic book artist, once you stepped out of his world and, you know, said you wanted to do something else. You were done. Wow. I, I mean, he, you know, he would walk around the room and comment on your drawing. Oh, that's very nice. I like that fold right there or that, you know, that arm looks fantastic or you're not doing this right. That's cool. But I noticed as soon as he found out that I wanted to be a comic book artist, the, the stops became less and less frequent. And then all of a sudden they just, he just passed me by. Wow. Yeah, and, and, I mean, he was a brilliant artist, but there, there is a stigma to this day of, of comic book illustrators in, in art schools where, you know, it, it, comic art is seemed as like the bastard child of illustration when I really think it's in reverse. Um, to be a comic book illustrator, you have to be able to draw everything yes, exactly. and draw, draw everything convincingly. Like, um, Joe Kubert, he could draw anything and you would think, all right, that's, that, I'm convinced that's what a tank looks like or, or that, that's what a woman in the 1940s dressed and looked like. And, and, uh, this guy's picking up this huge, um, weight and look at the way his muscles are, are rippling. Those muscles would do that if he picked up that much weight. So you, I mean, you have to be convincing in all respects, cars, architecture, um, clothing, uh, the, the human body, whereas, you know, you have your illustrators like Norman Rockwell did what he did really well. Mm-hmm. But to, I don't think he had the versatility of, of some of the greatest comic book artists who can draw everything. Yeah, especially. And not only can they draw everything, but also they can draw it from different perspectives, which is, again, like, <laughs> exactly you don't see that right. in, in a lot of no, illustrators. No. No, very, very versatile. And, and to keep it in the zone in terms of representation, when you have a character that has certain physical qualities that the reader comes to know, you have to present that character in every instance the same way. Yes. Yeah, and th- that's extremely difficult. So, um, I mean, it's no secret. I give comic book artists my, my highest uh, appreciation and admiration as far as their craft. It's not easy to do. And, and to, to be held, you know, as, as second class artistic citizens by, by some, uh, faculty. I, I noticed that way, way back. The, that comic art was kind of stigmatized. Uh, oh well, they're lost, yeah, right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, <laughs> um, the, the good thing, I guess I could say, um, at least from the colleges, at least where I, I went, it was, 
or I mean, they have comic classes now, which is like ten years, exactly. ten years before that didn't that didn't occur. So like, it's true. Even in uh, my college, they have a sequential art class that was unheard of. Yeah. But but luckily, we have a man in control now who um, realizes the importance of that stuff and knows a lot of people in in that world and. Uh, so now, I mean, it's, it's leveling out to a certain extent, but it was a long time coming. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was a very hard fought battle. That's for sure. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about Rena a little more. Um, what are the plans for this character? Uh, you, you said you're going to be going back and, uh, finishing other parts of this story as well as the future stories. Do you have any, um, I, I mean, publishing plans like, is this going to be a regular thing? Uh, what what's going to be the frequency? Yeah, it's going to be um, oh, doing it all myself. All every, I mean, you know, everything the printing and such does make it where if I was just doing the art, I could pro- and not have to deal with all the other stuff. It could probably be a bi monthly comic. That's not possible, even with me like working. You know, that along with my real job with all, all these other things. Um, that's not. And what, excuse me, what, what is the real job? I don't, I don't think I oh, asked. I am a letterpress operator. Oh, nice. Yeah. I actually, I mean, I got the job because, because of the book, basically. I was, that was a very strong thing to bring in to my job interview and be like, I printed this myself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. That, another, Dying art form, Very, which is yeah, but we're figuring out plans or at work how to bring it from being a dying art form, right? And it doesn't really make sense because when you hold something that's been letter pressed in your hand, that's very real. Oh, I mean, you God, can yes. tell, yeah, you you can tell the amount of work and 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 toil that went into that. And uh, this is a, a one of my favorite subjects because um, going for my master's, I, I'm in there with a bunch of people who do letter press, and and the just the enthusiasm they have for the craft. And you show them something that's been digitally printed, and it's yeah, whatever. But but you hold a letter press object in your hands, and that that's a labor of love. And it's ironic that that stuff is dying out because you would think that would it, dying out to a sense. I mean, it's still very much alive, but when when you go to a um, a printing press and you have the option of getting it printed letterpress or digital and you and money is an issue you know you're going to want to do it digitally right. right but um just in terms of um aesthetic quality there's there's no comparison oh, at all well yeah it's it's yeah. kind of fascinating cuz um like I, I asked at work like how many shops are there like this and our, our shop is fairly like it's it's pretty big we've got six um uh, Heidelberg windmills and three like Heidelberg cylinder presses, which are kind of the bigger. Amazing. Ones. Yeah, there's there's 20 shops of like ours in the United States. Like that's, mm-hmm. I mean, and you think of that in comparison to, I mean, any other printing. Like that's absurd. Like it's that's right. a sh- super small industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the proof, I mean the 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 proof is in the quality of the work. Yeah. And and I and that's another thing. It's kind of like you know vinyl records. I mean, pe- more and more people are recognizing that you know there's something about the work in 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 those individual formats that we can't let go away. 
you lose the soul of printing when when it's it's uh just shot out of a machine digitally Absolutely. you know yeah that and that's yeah that's kind of my belief like why the book is so i mean one the, the art rate's better gigantic like that but two i i make such a better argument for why this thing needs to be printed as opposed to me just uploading it onto a computer and having you read it online right even i mean you know some of the stuff is on, online but my own belief is like that's the shitty way to read it. And there's a very large tactile um, element to the, your book. Uh, holding it in your hands, it's very imposing because it's so large, and and the art is so beautiful, and the colors are so vibrant that yeah, even though the the color saturation could be replicated on the computer screen, it's still in combination with all those other elements would be a much more powerful presentation the way you yeah. did it. The way you printed it. And yeah. plus, you cannot take a computer and put it under a black light and have it glow. And you cannot put it on old 3D glasses and have the art just do crazy things right. the same way as you can do with the printed book. Well, I haven't tried the black light with 37. I got to do yeah, that. Yeah, do that and do, um, yeah, like 3D glasses. I think that's even a stronger one. I think I'm going to start making my own 3D glasses and start packaging it with the book because... Oh, that's incredible. It, yeah, it does really, really crazy things. Well, one of the things that um, I'm hoping you do is offer some kind of subscription plan. Oh. Me- meaning that, you know, pay for maybe two or three issues at once because as a person who consumes a lot of comics, and you're basically, you're doing this, this is a one-man operation. Yeah. So you don't have a whole lot of time for uh self-promotion and getting on the twitter you know the twitter or the facebooks and every day just pushing your product which one has to do yeah and that is like if if there's one thing i feel lacking in it's that (laughs) right so i i I just suggest because i really want to see this this take off is for you to offer like like three issue packages because then you don't have to do as much legwork you could once you grab them for that initial issue you got them for three that's true yeah. And, and, uh, just speaking, you know, just for myself, where I read a lot of comics, I buy a lot of comics online. There, there are times where not, just because I consume so much that I forget about some books. I forget to go to so and so's site and pick up the latest issue of their, their, their self-published, you know, comic. Yeah. And, and, and that, because you can't cover everything and you can't be aware of everything. That's. I, I think you should do that. Um, I, I just want to see this thing blow up, and I want to see it finished because I need to know where this story is going to go. Get fin- if, I mean, this thing will get finished even if I become a crazy like Henry Dodger, like madman, <laughs> and they, they're opening up my apartment, and there's just a bunch of bullshit. But I mean, it, it'll get finished. But yeah, no, definitely the plan is to to have it. Um, yeah, to get it into as many people as possible. Like I would like, I think there's something special about being able to print it myself. And even if I do get a publishing deal, which I, you know, I'll, the hard thing is finding a publisher that not only that would print something like that. Like that's the, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to try to get in contact with No Brow. And I, I could see this at No Brow. Yep. They they take great pains in the the presentation of their books too. Yeah, and that's yeah, and that's I mean that's the kind of publisher I would I would be comfortable having the the book at because I know that they would respect it. 
just the anthology is incredible. As imposing as your book, it's they're big. Yeah. But um, so say say you did uh, find a printer. Now, I there there aren't many that would do this book the justice it deserves. But um, would the would you change the format in any way? Thicker issues or or um, more more frequent? Like how what what is your plan? In, in that situation where you, you did find someone that could take the printing out of your hands and just allow you to just focus on the production of the work itself. Then the issues would be a lot more frequent. I mean, oh. just straight up, it would be a lot. Like, they'd come out a lot sooner if I didn't have to then, like, set aside months. Like, like this month, we're printing. You know, a one-color offset press, there's only so... It's a slow process at that point. Um mm-hmm. And then binding, which hand, hand bound stuff, like that's again, like you set a, you set a big chunk of time away from right. just like, you know, doing, like it, I just recently started doing pages again after like a couple months of doing like formatting and, and, um, all or all, you know, like color formatting and, and printing and all that. And I just like, you know, I could do more of this right now, but instead I'm going to work on the story. And it just felt so good to get back to actually creating pages. Yeah. I think Top Shelf would be another candidate for something this good. Uh, I've, I, I've I, talked to them. They're, they need a little bit more convincing. Okay. Um, not, which, I mean, this is good. Like, that you suggest that they need convince they they like the work it's not bad they just need convincing of you know they don't want to take a risk well yeah that's the thing chris is a pretty savvy businessman if he you know he, if he's not sure of something it it's tough to get him to to to, to bite but i'm uh, yeah i i think this would fit beautifully with their 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 catalog but then i'm not a businessman you know i just, i just love the art and that kind of clouds my what little logic i have <laughs> in, in in the business sense so, but um, it is that that is nice because I, I I have certainly talked you know had some conversations with him and that's um, I don't know if he listens to this or not but that it's that's a good thing to you know as many publishers like hearing about this as possible that's that's really going to help it get um, get the word out there a lot more than right anything else. and there's you know. As- as someone who appreciates your work, there's a little part of me that kind of maybe doesn't want this stuff <laughs> at a publisher and wants you to keep doing it just the way you're doing it because um, that I think that's a very large um, part of of this the the success of the work is is the the obvious love that you put into producing it. Yeah, that's something like I think I will probably. I mean, make like even as like a premium edition. To always print the books like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great idea. Like even like if I could afford to get like a pre- you know like a two color press or something a little bit bigger, that cuts down the time of printing. Um, or even just get, you know, maybe even get an assistant that I trust doing, mm-hmm. you know, to help me with the printing process. Right now, you you said you were printing pages. Is that for thirty nine? Um, recently I actually did this tiny little bestiary, um, and it's, it's kind of been like a, a, 
a low release that's only shown up at um a, a like Chicago Zine Fest, which I I did. Um and that literally it was finished the day of that thing. So I was finding oh. the books while I was sitting at my table. Oh man. Um, <laughs> that is dedication. And it was um it went over really well and I just need to get all the books bound so they're, you know, ready to sell. Um and it's kind of it's it's interesting because it's a full color thing as well, but it's a little pocketbook. But each it's a single panel. So think of a single panel in the big book and just the series mm-hmm. of, of those. Um, oh, like a monster manual. It, it is. It absolutely is. Cause it's just like highlighting the, you know, characters or, or creatures. And some of them you've already seen some of you, them you haven't. Um, which, which raises the question, do you have a Bible for this world? It's, not a hundred percent Bible, but yes, there is definitely, yeah, there is one. I would love to see that printed as well. <laughs> that would be very cool. Somewhere down the line, once, once this thing explodes and, and we see the, the Alan D. Caesar Bible, that'd be really cool to just get into it because I mean, there are some things you can't convey in speech. True. That, uh, went into the, the making of this world. And just to see your thought processes on paper as you're going along and creating these characters and, you know, listing all the various qualities of each one, that would be a nice companion to the actual work itself. Yeah. Yeah, that is so many so projects. So <laughs> why, do, why don't, yeah, yeah. So why don't you tell, uh, the listeners where they can find this stuff, where they can get their hands on it? You, you do have copies of 37 and 38 still, yes? Yes, I do. Oh, nice. Um, it's, I mean, there, there's my shop. It's Downfall Arts. Let me check that website actually to be a hundred percent certain because I'd feel really stupid if I gave <laughs> you the wrong um, address of that. I guess, um, I have a Tumblr, which is, um, Downfall Arts on Tumblr, Facebook, Downfall Arts, website, Downfall Arts. It's all under Downfall Arts. Um, mm-hmm. the actual shop is goofy like cheap. Um, oh yeah, Instagram, I have that. That's usually where I post, um, Oh, you know, like pages as I'm inking them and as I'm penciling them and little things mm-hmm. like that. But yeah, down, yeah, it's Downfall Arts Shop at BigCartel.com. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah, and that right now it has, um, yeah, it has the three books on there, and I'll need to put um, the bestiary up on there as well. And the nice thing about doing it yourself is, if you need more copies, you could just print them. I mean, oh, yeah. it's not it's not as quick as that, but I mean, in 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 theory, you'll never run out of copies. Right. All it takes is like, and that's the great thing about doing it all yourself is like it does take time, but it is so much cheaper than going to a printer. Like I could not do this with the money I have right now, um, with anyone else because you know, they would charge thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars um because there's you know because of the odd size format because it's fluorescent ink um 
no one would do the hand bound thing, not like that. Right, right. No. And and I would say that there's very very little from the the publishers out there of this quality because you do it all by hand. I, I can't really think of many books that would match these in terms of well the whole package, color, paper. Um, presentation, just just the the feel of the thing. There's there's nothing really to compare it to. Yeah, I mean a, a lot of not to this swage pub, you know, the work that publishers put out, but a lot of them, you know, because it's a yeah, business, it's a business yeah. so you use cheaper stuff and like that. Personally, that's just not the route I'm going. I want really nice books because in this day and age, I think it's harder and harder to have people want to read stuff um, just because there are these, you know, there's digital options and that sort of thing. But I think that, like, if you give them a real reason, like, you can't replicate this, then I think that's actually, you know, that's worth doing. So, Mm -hmm. you know. And one of the um, things of which publishers have to be very afraid these days is the, the digital proliferation of their work where you got these guys that are picking up the books on wednesday scanning them and by wednesday night you know new comic day you can go and just download pretty much everything that was published that day uh you don't have to worry about that because um not not only are are they um imposing works i think a scanner's not going to capture everything that that you have on the page it's it's just i don't think the 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 books can be replicated once you get one of these in your hands, digital is not going to cut it. Yeah, no, and I'm and I'm even experimenting with um, metallic black ink, so the oh, so the um, blacks you know they shine under under mm-hmm. light, and I'm um, actually testing like we're testing that at work right now for some different things, but um, yeah, that's probably what the next what the books are going to be printed in now in the blacks. They're going to have now a weird shine to them. But oh, I can't wait to see that. You are a very old soul. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That that twenty four years old to have this kind of approach to the art form that is extremely refreshing and and amazing. And I'm I'm just if I could give you a hug, I would. <laughs> <laughs> just keep doing it the way you're doing it. It's amazing, amazing stuff. Um, well, I gotta thank you for being here with us. Uh, we're, we've, we've chewed up an hour and Holy a half. Crap we have. And, yeah, and this episode's gonna be close to four hours. So, <laughs> I think that tests the limits of our, of our, uh, our Libsyn account. So, um, let's cap it here and we will, uh, have you on, definitely have you on again to see where this is all oh, going. Oh, I'd love, yes, absolutely. Yeah, and I'll definitely right, keep you informed with, you know, the release of the next books and, because they're, oh, they're coming up here pretty pretty damn quick. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. So thank you very much, Alan D. Caesar, for being here with us this week. That was cool, Vince. Well done, yeah. sir. That's funny. I'm intrigued. What? You have you have amazing confidence in me. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's your first rodeo. Uh, yeah. So hey, why don't uh, we keep the free comic book day ball rolling? Rolling, rolling. Um, especially for Mr. Uh, Wood, because even if you do have this, uh, well, let's call it a, a graphic novel. I don't know if you even if you do have the final 
the, the published edition of this book, you're going to want to get this free comic book issue because it's a little beautiful artifact unto itself. As long as it's not artifacts. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm talking about from Fantagraphics, the, uh, Ed Piscor hip hop <gasps> family tree. That's more shoot you. Jason, did you get the, the, well, the single Well, it is one issue? of the ones I got, but as I, oh, as I mentioned you're to you, so I, lucky. I, I did not get to hit free comic book day. I, I put this out on Twitter that day. I said, I wish every now and then I wish my kids were purely into geeky things and not athletes because we had three lacrosse games and a baseball game on free comic book day, which precluded me from even going to a local store for a half hour and grabbing some books. So the only FCBD books I'm getting were the five that I so awesomely get from our friends at, uh, at DCB service. So include, which is one, of, I did get that one, but I, I, uh, I have not seen it yet. Although I believe you told I'm, me it's, it's stuff from the first volume of the collected volume, which I own. So it is, but I believe there are additions to it mm-hmm. and there are, um, the layout is a bit different. Uh, not only, I, I think there's a new cover on it too. This book. Is going for ten bucks now. Good lord, it's not even mm-hmm. a week old. Yeah, and uh, the cover is done. It's it's a an ape of the Marvel two and one. Yeah, from the uh, when they did the border. When was that? Like ninety two, ninety three. Remember they had the border around the cover um, images. Mm-hmm. And in the border, you got Biz Markey. Oh, um, the, the Marvel ones. That yeah. was for the twenty fifth anniversary. When, what, when was that? that? So that was no, that was that was right after. That was that was the eighties. That was the late eighties because that was cause right after Burn, Secret Wars. Secret Wars too, because Burn had it was. I think it wanted, I want to say it was like Fantastic Four. It was around three hundred, and Burn left before three hundred. And Barry Windsor Smith did the thing cover, and I think it was Smith. Maybe, maybe it was Paul Ryan or you with but the, no, with the but it was, it was the, that that whole border was for the twenty fifth anniversary of Marvel Comics. Okay, but you got Rick Rubin in there. Chucky's in there for some reason. The killer doll. I don't know why. Chucky is Chucky associated with with rap or hip hop? The little murdering murdering Chucky doll from the movie. Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, but um, of course you got the big players in there. Um, Humpty Hump is in the bottom with his little. Fake nose and his cigar. I did, and it, I think the cover's amazing because he, they got a sharpie or a, a big thick marker and they wrote free over it. And as you go through the comic, there are little things written on the pages and the, and the margins of the pages and it bleeds through to the other side. It's really smartly done. Mm-hmm. It's just like the, pa- the pages are yellowed. Um, you got faux bullpen bulletins pages. There's pinups in here. By um, Johnny Negron has one, and I didn't know this, but Tom Scholey has stuff in the book because I don't have the book yet. All I, all I have, I just saw this free comic book day thing and snagged it. And Tom Scholey does the um, the Marvel panels. Like there's a a tie between the mythical, larger than life hip hop heroes and Marvel heroes. Equating them, you know, the, the same. Mm-hmm. Put them on on this on the same level, and uh, so it's supposed to look like an old, yellowed 
Marvel comic. But I learned so much from this book. I have I had no idea well, who some of these people. So were. this is what I was getting at. So you, you, from the sound of it, you have not read the web comic on Boing Boing or or read the collected edition. Occasionally, okay, and in and in small doses. I I never had like a you know a binge like this. Yeah, because I know you where, were talking to me about why it wasn't a hardcover and. The reason is because it's designed specifically to look like a Marvel Treasury edition. I mean, that's that's why it's softcover. It's that big? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it, even says fan, I, it even says Fantagraphics Treasury Edition right on the top. Well, yeah, I know they did the cover to Ape, a Treasury Edition right. cover, but I, I didn't know it was the same physical oh, proportions. Oh, yeah, it's identical, yeah. Oh, that's nuts. Mm-hmm. That's insane. But, um, at the, like, of course you got Run DMC in here. That, I mean, that's obvious. But, uh, Africa Bombada's in here with the Soul Sonic Force and they go into the whole Planet Rock thing. And Rick Rubin plays a big part of this. And there's a page where it shows him designing the Def Jam logo. Mm-hmm. And I, I never even looked at it closely enough to realize that the D and the J are the biggest parts. Like DJ. He's paying, you know, tribute to the DJ. And I was like, well, that's so smart. And I never really, I never knew. Because, mm. I, I, you know me, my my uh, dalliance with hip-hop is like fleeting at best. I mean, I got my Digital Underground and my Public Enemy and my Run DMC. But other than that, you know, a lot of this stuff is just, it's it's Greek to me. So this was like a learning experience for me. I know who Rick Rubin is. But more the metal hairband Rick Rubin, not the 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 hip hop Rick Rubin. You know? So I mean this was a learning experience. I love the page with Blondie and Grandmaster Flash and the whole rapture deal about what was going on on the set and who those people were doing the the tagging the walls and uh, it's just it's just an amazing book, I guess. It's like how did I miss all this? I don't know, dude. Back Apparently, in, you haven't listened to me praise it. No, I, I have, but rural Pennsylvania. <laughs> I mean, there was a couple dudes listening to this stuff at best. Uh, Run DMC, I got into because of the they were more metal than hip hop to me. And then there's the the Eddie Van Halen Association, right? Didn't Van Halen play a solo on on? Uh, a run DMC track or something, Aerosmith. but I was gonna say, well, yeah, well, yeah, there's that, the, the, the walk this way, but I'm sure they sampled Eddie Van Halen for, uh, King of Rock, not the song King of Rock. He's right. on that album. Uh, but yeah, this is just great. And I was thinking, man, to be so blind to an art form for so long and then to have it crammed on your throat like this, it's, it just, it was a realization like, holy shit, I missed a lot of good stuff. It's all good, bro. You're still young. Yeah. You've got lots of time to catch up. I, I am. And uh, I got to hand it to Ed Piscor. He is a fantastic cartoonist. He is. I, I Unbelievable. He's one of the creators in the business that I don't know that yet that I would very much like to rectify because I just I, – I love his perspective on things. I, he's obviously he's a humongous hip-hop fan, but he seems like a righteously cool dude outside of that. Every interview I've read of him, he seems – just like a, ch- a chill dude, funny sense of humor. I, I, I am very intrigued. Hope to get to meet him this year. I think he's going to be at Heroes, where David and I will be. Ooh. So hopefully we'll see him there. Look at you pimping. 
Uh, but it, it it's it's not all um, hip hop because of the Rick Rubin connection. It goes into punk a little bit. Mm-hmm. You got the, you got the Bad Brains and CBGBs and the Dead Kennedys and the, of, of course the Beastie Boys. And I love every time he, they mention the Beastie Boys, it's like those annoying, twerpy, you know, sarcastic Beastie Boys. But the the one panel that literally made me laugh out loud was uh, the Misfits are in here. And, uh, there's a, a picture, there's a illustration of Glenn Danzig and he's got, he's got the hair over his face, you know, the devil forelock thing. And he's thinking, Henry. <laughs> so, so there, there's a tie to Henry and Glenn right. forever. And it's just, it's just one word. And it, but it's just funny because if you're in on the joke, it makes sense. Right. If you didn't know about that, you'd read that panel and be just like, what the hell's, I don't, I don't, just don't get it. But yeah, it, and from what I hear, this one, is in scarce supply. My comic shop only had one, and I grabbed it. Nice. Same thing. Okay. With, same thing with the with the 2000 AD one, <laughs> and I grabbed that. And I'm lucky that I did. Because tell him why, David. Uh, because Vince is all sorts of moist over the Chris Burnham artwork in the first story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is something there, I you know you could you could have grilled me and said who do you think will show up in 2000 AD at any point in time I never in a million goddamn years would have ever told you Chris Burnham for real but now having read the story it just seems like a perfect fit doesn't it does it, it does I mean I, part of me wants to wants to be a prick and say well I guess quietly was busy but it it really does look That's like true. no there are some scenes especially the profiles where sure. it absolutely looks like Frank and, and which is fine. And, and that's, and you've seen Batman Incorporated. You've seen Batman and Robin. You know what Burnham can do. So he definitely has his influence there, but it, 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 it works with the story. It, uh, that the, this rookie judge is, 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 um, he's young. And, and I think Burnham does, especially when, when he was drawing Damian Wayne, I think Burnham draws young really well. So oh, I think this he was is young. A, like a, well, that's look in the damn too. mirror. But he uh it, he was a good fit for this story. Hell yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, you know, in addition to the regular players in the 2080 universe, I mean, they give you um examples of why they're so highly regarded. Uh, in, in the comics world, you got Judge Anderson's in here, drawn by, yes. uh, Romero and written by Alan Grant. Um, there's a Rogue Trooper story, of course, drawn by Dave Gibbons. Yep. That's a and slain. Written, written by Jerry Finley Day. There's a slain story. Is that the way you pronounce it? Slain? I always have. Why would you think? Yeah, me, it makes, it makes sense. Slain. I mean, the guy's a, basically a barbarian. He, Slain is a good name for him. Um, there's a Slain story by uh, who drew this? It's not. It's uh, not Bisley. It's not. No, uh, it's not Bisley. Yeah, it's um. Well, let's look inside here. Uh, yeah, it's not uh, quickly discerned. So let's. You should work on that. 2018. But. Uh, now, in addition to the, the stalwarts, the reasons why they've been so popular over the years, there's three new stories in this thing, specially created for this, 
this free comic book day issue and Burnham's story is the lead in. And I tell you, it is fantastic. It, it's just amazing what this kid can do. And it, he makes me sick because mm. there's it's seemingly nothing he can't do and pull off. I know he's got a big head because he's Chris Burnham and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it's it's either put up or shut up. And, and he puts up every time he 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 shows you why he's so damn popular and good. There's a reason why Chris Burnham got to do Batman Incorporated with Grant Morrison. It's not because he's cute. It's because he can soft hands. he can draw like a son of a bitch. Yeah, maybe soft hands. But um, and so you get uh, the Burnham story. Then Jander Seema yes turns in a Durham Red story. Durham Red is basically a strontium dog, but she's a vampire too. Yeah. So uh, and it was written by Leah Moore and John Repian. And the story that I, I just love this thing. It's, um, was written by Barry Hammersmith. I'm not familiar with this person, but I will be. And drawn by Henry Flint Henry. Yes. I gotta say that because we've known him as Flint Henry. We've known him as Henry Flint. Uh, and it's basically a pastiche on Galactus. Galactus, um, well, the, the character's name is Glutanic, and he has insatiable hunger, and he, he lands on this planet in order to consume, and it's, it's, he's big and purple, and he's got the, the horns coming out of his head, but he has a, his head is basically a pyramid, and the, the life forms are fleeing from Glutanic, and if you look closely, if you're a fan of, of, um, cheaply made, sci-fi and horror movies like myself they're characters that are running from him you got the some dudes in the crowd wearing the mask from zardos you got the robot monster the ape with the the uh the um, robot head who else is in here i saw a couple other characters oh there's the um the black voodoo doll from um i think it was tales of terror when um they put, you know, it was like from the seventies and, uh, they put it in the oven and it came back to life and blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's a great story with, you know, it's got a twist. It's like a, a Tharg's Future Shocks story where you have the old Henry twist at the end. It's just fun. And, uh, you gotta think it wasn't cheap to produce all these magazine sized 48 page comics. So 2000 AD stepped up big time. It is a great issue. And again, you you would think that the the publishers that don't get a lot of play, the comic shops would order heavily. It wasn't that case in in my local shop. The Marvel and the DC stacks were big, and the you know the the little guys like 2000 AD and Fantagraphics. There was maybe you know one two. That's that's a weird, strange problem with Free Comic Book Day. I, I would think that the little guys would be ordered very heavily to to. Make up for the fact that people, you know, either are unaware, or, you know, well, don't I, get them I, for whatever reason. Since they, it still costs the stores money, they probably just don't want to risk sitting on stock that didn't move. I mean, just because it's free doesn't mean someone's going to pick it up. Right, but why would you invest heavily in stock that's going to move to a certain degree anyway? Like, you would get a bunch of Marvel books. The Marvel stuff moves. Right, so you know you're not going to sit on those. Yeah, but on and on the flip side, you're not going to get new customers from handing out books to people who would have bought the books anyway. But it's the um, 
like a it lot makes of the sense stores will limit how many you can get. Yeah, it was three at our place. So yeah, so you, so you get three, you're either going, you get the Marvel, the DC, and maybe one for your kids. And that's exactly what I did. I got two for me and I got the Rocket Raccoon for, uh, Vinny. I haven't read that yet. How is that? I thought it was great. Awesome. Yeah. It's not, the only thing Scotty Young is the cover. Right. Um, the, uh, main Rocket story was drawn by Adam Archer. I think it's great. Written by, uh, it's, Amanya? Uh, yes. Let me get it. It's right here. Have you seen some of the pages from Scotty's first issue? Yes. I just had to amazing show up man. your house, right? He's a son of, he's a bastard. He is such a, yeah. But you know what? If, if Scotty wasn't attached to the Rocket Raccoon, uh, I would like to see this Adam Archer guy do it. Mm. It's, it's a lot slicker than Scotty. Um, it's been called Disney-esque, but I don't, I wouldn't take it that far. It's just plain good cartooning, but it's, it's, it's more animation style. It, nowhere near the line is nowhere near as expressive as Scotty's, but for what it was, I thought it was great. It it does have a Bucky O'Hare feel to it, yeah. And Groot is uh, typically Groot, but yeah. And they they round out the issue with a reprint from um, I'm guessing the Spider-Man um, All Ages comic. Ty Templeton drew it. Joe Caramagna. Oh, back in the day, or yeah, okay. no, it seems relatively recent. It's Nova and um, White Tiger, who is not flinging testicles around. Oh, so around it's tied recently. into uh, the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon on Disney XD. Okay, that that's what it could be then. Yeah, but it's it's a full issue. I mean, this issue is pretty packed. Yeah, and you know, Marvel, and of course, you get the ads for the Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, Cosmic Team Up Digest, just smart. The Hulk and the Agents of Smash, which That's I've only, down. yeah, I've only seen one or two, and that was all it took. Not, I, not, I not a huge have fan. Some on the, on the TV, I haven't watched them yet. That or the new Avengers Assemble, I haven't checked out yet. Thank good. Oh, that's. I want to say new. It's it's been a few months, so it's not new. But I have, I miss the old Avengers cartoon that they had when Disney XD was um, running them on Sunday mornings. Is that the one where Cap is a kid with the shield? No. Mm-mm. No, it's they, they they took a lot of really um, they did Secret Invasion. They did uh, that was pretty much one whole season was uh, being infiltrated by the Skrulls and they they, they, uh, they did um, oh crap when um Oh shoot! From the Avengers. Oh, Corvac. Uh, they did the Corvac saga. Uh, yeah, they did some really cool stories on that cartoon. Is it, now is that the one that's tied to the game where they're all super deformed? No, no, Avengers no. no, no it was just Earth's Mightiest Heroes. It was that was it. Yeah, was, I uh, couldn't think of the subtitle. That was it. I've I've never seen that. That was awesome. You should check that out. It was really good. Yeah. When the heck was that produced? A couple years ago. A couple years ago. It it kicked off when Ultimate Spider-Man when. After Disney, pretty much right around when Disney grabbed Marvel and then Sunday mornings they had, uh, the Marvel because they had, it started off with Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes and you would have, um, uh, some character spotlights and then in between that and before Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon started, uh, there was some Disney XD 
guy, host, whatever, who would sit and talk to Joe Q while Joe would draw a character from right. one of the cartoons that day and, and talking about his power set and, 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 you know, how, how big a fan he is of this character, this, that, and the other. And, and it was really cool. He'd have his big Cintiq and he'd sit there and he'd sketch and his fucking kid sitting next to him and I want to shoot mm-hmm. this kid because I want to sit there and, I know. uh, it, and then the only, it was 2011 and 12, by the way. Okay. Because uh, it was, totally it was blank after it. Spectacular Spider-Man, which I thought was an awesome cartoon, although no one, no one else really did. But the, um, the only cheesy thing about that whole power hour was after Ultimate Spider-Man, before the, before the morning wrapped up, is they cut to either an old Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends cartoon or an old Incredible Hulk cartoon from that same time. And they did a, um, they basically did a, a mashup where they took scenes and talked over them and just did like, you know, so it's the Hulk farting or it's She-Hulk and, and them arguing over stupid shit. It was just, it was really. Oh, so it's like mystery science Marvel universe. Except, well, except no one's watching it. You just, you have someone just speaking for Hulk or Spidey or someone else and they're, they're, they're just oh. doing something you know funny or silly and and depending on how old you are when you're watching it you're probably gonna think it's, it's the funniest <laughs> thing in the world or it's just like well that just kind of <laughs> killed the last hour for me but uh oh. but no i thought i i thought that whole hour was good but av- after earth's mightiest heroes ended and they went to avengers assemble i still haven't seen any of those episodes and i've seen a little bit of one of the hulk and the agents of smash cartoons yeah I didn't like it. And, and that's really is odd. Is it the animation or is it, uh. Yeah, I think okay. so. It just, it just seems off to me. I, it's, I'm not saying it's bad. It just didn't grab me. Okay. Yeah, I was, it's, yeah, I was not, not a fan of Agents of Smash either. I, I didn't, yeah, didn't like the premise, didn't like the art. Not my cup of tea. But in the Earth's Mightiest Heroes, Vince, they, they introduced Red Hulk, they introduced Winter Soldier. How the hell did I miss this? Guardians of the Galaxy have been there. I talked about it, bro. I I know. I'm just reiterating for him in case. I know. I know. (laughs) That's the bro I'm talking to. I I talked about that in Ultimate Spider-Man. It was just um, because it was right around the time when they did the Tron Uprising cartoon. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I didn't like that. But now at least I got a time frame. Yes. Yeah, you do. The Tron Uprising probably streaming somewhere, right? I, you can probably watch it on the Disney XD app on your iPad, bro. Yes, sir. And nice. I know that they still, I, I see my TiVo try to record like, you know, episodes at 5.30 in the morning. So they, they, it is in, they are repeating them. They just, uh, I don't think there's a set schedule unless, like they used to do the superhero squad. You could probably just catch one in the morning right. on a Thursday or something, but. Yeah, no, you can still, there's still out there to watch. I probably will buy the, the, the box set when it's, when I find one, when I find a whole collection and it's not one of those stupid. Here's season two, part one. Oh, I hate that. I hate that with a passion. They do that with regular show. It drives me they, crazy. Regular show, they do so that. Annoying. They started, they, they finally have the, um, the, the Batman Brave and the Wolf cartoon. They started putting out full seasons of that. It's so offensive too. Because, it's, it's such a know, money grab. It is. It is. And especially well, in today's day and age, like when nobody actually buys physical DVDs anymore. <laughs> That's true. Well, I don't know about nobody. 
Well, right. no, I just mean their yeah. their sales are the majority. Plummeted. Yeah. yeah. But to 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 buy a half a season and then you know you know you're gonna if you're buy if you like a show enough to buy a half a season, you're gonna buy the whole season. What they should do is just just wait and so maybe they won't put them out anymore. Maybe the sales will, will go in the toilet and they'll just wait do to they, get the whole season do, out. Do they put like a a coupon or a rebate? By no, like part I one, and then it's like when you know when part two is released, get it for like you know five bucks off. No, and I, I honestly, I think I've seen a Teen Titans disc that was like season one, part three, Oof. or something like that. Like they, they think nothing of breaking it up into more than two, and to buy a DVD with four episodes on it, even if you're a parent who doesn't watch this stuff, to to buy a DVD for a kid that's under like two hours, yeah. It goes against the whole point of buying them a DVD is to keep them busy, right? Three episodes is not going to no, keep kids busy. No, especially if they're or only 22-minute episodes. Yeah, and they're going to get sick of it and move on to something else. Yeah. I know you're right. What is the deal? I keep hearing banter about Amazing Spider-Man 2. and I, a I, lot I, of it, I don't hear nothing. No, I'll no, no. I'm not going to say about the movie. Okay. I'm not right. talking about the movie. The, the response... I thought going in based on the trailer that everybody was digging it. Everybody thought it was just awesome. And now I'm hearing, eh, not that great of a movie. No, I'm here, I'm I don't, I don't next, know. But I don't, I, I, how could it not be? Well, look at the trailer. Yeah, but you make it sound like the, all the X-Men movies have, have been awesome. Mm. And they haven't. Well, I, I, I've never liked it. So, I mean, I can see why people wouldn't be keen. And there were a lot of people who were thrilled with the first Amazing Spider-Man. It's true. So Julie, I'm not, Julian hated it. Yeah. Wow. I, I th- with me, Dap's aunt walked out. She did. Out of Amazing Spider-Man two, I got a, I got an email from my aunt. She says I walked out. Her partner. She walked, her, she walked out of the movie. She walked out of the movie. Her partner stayed until the end and said it was so so. But the neighbors they went with, they stayed till the end and they liked it. So I'm, oh, I'm not. In, I'm intrigued now. I can't. Renee does not want to. I know Renee. Doesn't want to see it, and when it's nice out, well, when it's nice out, she's not going to sit in a goddamn movie theater for two hours. So I, I definitely get that. So I figured I'll just, Shoot, I'll if it's something she wants to see. Well, yeah, but that's actually no, she doesn't. We're not, we're not big movie theater folks. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's one of those things where when I get probably Monday or Tuesday before we record next week, my dad and I will go see it. Yeah, I got to get there because it sounds extremely polarizing. Yeah. What I, I in response to the thread discussion in our forums, I too haven't seen the movie, but what I said, having listened to some reviews of it and read plenty of them, I think the one thing you can say for sure about this film is that it's inconsistent in that it's not so much that some people are liking the film and some people are disliking it, but I'm hearing and reading people say, I loved this part but hated this part, and other people saying, I love this part and hated this part, meaning like the stuff that some people are hating, other people are loving and vice versa. And that tells me that the movie is not consistent tone wise. There are serious parts, there's funny parts. And so that's the kind of movie that can be very divisive, right? Because you're going to, there's going to be parts of it that you resonate with and parts that you don't. I've heard universally that, um, that Andrew Garfield and, and, and Emma Stone are fantastic in their roles. As, I as think Peter, they make a Peter great Penn and Gwen. I, yeah. I, whether they're on camera or off or just chilling together, I think the two of them, I think, are, I, I was watching a Graham Norton from a couple of weeks ago and, and they were 
great just chilling on the couch together. I love every scene that they're in together. Mm-hmm. She is so damn cute. She, she is. is. And they're a real life couple. So, right. Um, now I've also heard almost universally, even from people that have liked the film, that the villains are a hot mess. That there's a lot of inconsistency, very little development of their storylines and a third act that leaves a lot of people scratching their head. So I'm dying to see it just because oh. I'm dying to get a sense of it, it's divisive movies are fun because they, they, they make you want to see them yourself and talk about them. But right. Right. Um, now I like the first one a lot. So I, 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 too. I, I suspect I'm going to lean towards liking it. Although I would be surprised if I love it just based on how yeah. mixed the reviews have been. I mean, it, and with me and that's why I haven't gone into the thread because I haven't seen it and and I love our form folk but I trust no one and I I just need to read that <laughs> one line where you know someone's going to say oh and remember when and it's like dude you know so I'm not I'm not going in no thread until I see a movie the same thing with the Winter Soldier mm-hmm. but I I do not professional social media I don't listen to I don't I don't put any stock in anyone's review of, of something it, that I want to see. It's tough with the Facebooks to uh, mm. evade well, that well, kind oh, of Oh, it absolutely is. Absolutely. Yeah, because uh, from what I've learned based on the, the whole whopping two weeks that I've been on the damn thing, th- you, and you're on your timeline, that stuff just keeps coming. I mean, and you can't really stop it. And I, I have to watch at work because some of the people I follow, you know, will post artwork that's, not safe for where I am I, at the um, moment. Oh, absolutely. And and as far as not not artwork wise, art, art artwork where I am at work, that's not too big a deal. No one sneaks up behind me where I sit in in, in my corner cubicle, so it's not a um, that's not a concern. I did stop this week. I unfollowed, unfriended, whatever uh, on a an artist, a creator who we all are fans of, I had to stop following him on Facebook because he he just as I don't want to say You can unfriend someone? Absolutely. Of course you can. Well, I didn't he, know that. He uh he because he he started off a sentence with basically saying my Amazing Spider Man Two is a movie about and I said I don't need to read it anymore. He th- there was no buffer, there was no see if you follow oh. Justin Jordan, he when he's done watching an episode of Arrow or Agents of Shield, he will write spoilers, but every letter is is its own carriage return. So you have all these spaces before he starts getting into what he's about to tell you. Whereas you have some people who were just like, I just saw this and this is what happened and I hate it. And it's like, well, you just blew it for everybody who happened. So I had to, I, I, I love this artist. I love whenever he posts sneak peeks of his art and, and updates about his projects, but I can't, I, if I want to watch something or enjoy something at a later date, I, I can't follow him on Facebook anymore. Are you talking Liefeld? No, I'm not talking Liefeld. What's oh, he going to okay. do? Ruin the Bible for me? <laughs> oh, oh, by the way, there's a flood. Uh, <laughs> Spoilers. No, I didn't know you can unfriend people. Oh, do they God, know it you when you? Of course, yeah. Well, they don't get well, a notice, do. but if they go back and and you know see if you're a friend of theirs or something, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, see that's the one difference between the Twitter like, and they've been doing this more on the Twitter. Like you used to be, someone would post a send a, a photo on the Twitter and you wouldn't see it. Now you see a little bit of it. And if somebody's yeah. tweeting dirty stuff, I'm going to get in trouble at work. So I don't like that development on the Twitter. But on the Facebook, I mean, you see it all. 
yeah. they, the picture's like right there. So I, I fired it up today and I go on my timeline and there was a cartoon of a clown sitting on, you know, this other character's face and whacking him off and just spraying all over the place. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> what? And then you shared it. I, you I, like, no, I share. It's awesome. I, I love, love to it. share. Love it. You go to, I want people to go to my, what is it? Timeline? Yeah. They call it. I want people to go to my timeline and just see loads of different art. That's what I want. Because that's what I'm about. There are, there, there, you, you may post one thing that's, that, that's, that's personal to 30 shares. Oh, definitely. Yeah. 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 It's good stuff. Yeah. I mean, Vince, the best thing to do as you start building it out is take the time to either create some categories of your own or just label people. I mean, I would say 70% of the people I'm friends with I've labeled as acquaintances. Yeah. And my default post is only to my friends except acquaintances. Yep. So stuff about my family or pictures of the kids or stuff oh, I, I yeah, limit to, to friends that people actually know. And, and then and then stuff like Merry Christmas or Oh, this is funny or Here's a cool. That's comment. high level stuff. That's yeah. that's everybody. You know? Yeah, Vince. Everything you seem to be sharing or posting is public for everybody. So, well, good. That's what I want. Right. No, yeah. yeah. But if there are, see, I don't, I don't do public anymore because there's some people who I, I'll post something and you just have that one dude who either needs to pick it apart or I just, I can do without arguing with people. So uh, I, just, I welcome that. Yeah. I welcome that. Well, maybe you have the time for it. Okay. No, it's just, it's, it's a diversion. It's something different. You, you get me all riled up. Oh, you just made my day because I'm sitting here editing garbage and i don't have to think about it for another two minutes now but yeah i i get you but you know what i think the movie that's gonna rip the box office apart and it has a chance of being the best of the summer uh yeah i i think godzilla is gonna (laughs) destroy it's gonna be so i again i just watching the trailer and the many trailers they've released i don't see how it could be bad not with the cast and the effects and the design and the, just the, the overall tone of the movie and what I've heard about it. I really don't see how it could not succeed. And and I got high hopes for Guardians, too. I think that's going to surprise a lot of people. I hope so. I mean, Guardians I'm really for Guardians fun. in a big way, but I am I am nervous about it. Really? Yeah. I, well, I'm just nervous about it, too. I, I don't know why I'm nervous about it. It's not like Marvel or Disney need the money, but <laughs> they'll be fine either way. But, but I, I yeah, I, I don't. I don't expect it to be a massive hit. I hope I'm wrong. Oh. I, I expect to like the movie myself. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. But You want to make a wager? Mm. Well, we'd have to define what we mean by massive hit. I think it's going to do as, as well as Avengers. Zero chance of that. Okay, we'll see. Well, let's make a bet. Uh, what do you want to bet? I don't know. Um... Oh, I get to pick something for you guys to read. See, you, you have you have a distinct advantage over me because you're plugged into the <laughs> the tech. The, you know, the, oh, the, like he's the, already backpedaling. Well, no, 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 no. I'm not. Ba- I'm 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 confident. No one said nothing about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. I I didn't. Oh, I want to see that of too. I didn't say Guardians is going to come out of the gate as well as Avengers, but I bet by the end of the summer, worldwide, it it's it's made as much as uh, Avengers. Come out the practically the end of the summer. Dude, I it's mean, okay. it's, it's, I, I almost feel bad making the bet because do you know what you're betting on, dude? I mean, like, I'm not. Do you know how much the Avengers made worldwide, dude? I think close to a billion, right? More than about 1.5 billion. 
Oh, see, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's almost two billion. That's almost <laughs> two. Hilarious. I shit me one point five billion. Yeah, dude. Oops. I I thought it was like eight hundred, nine hundred thousand. It made. Nah, son. Or a million. Dude, it's 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 third all time, dude. I mean, oh, forget that shit. No, I didn't know it was that high. That's why I was gonna say I'll take that bet. I mean, I feel bad though. It's like, I mean, it's like kicking a cripple. Yeah, exactly. I'm just excited for it, but yeah, I don't pay attention to that kind of stuff. Maybe I should. Maybe I oh, should. Start. Well, see, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm more about the creative side. I just think it looks spectacular. I, 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 from, again, from what I, I've seen, I think it's, it, it looks amazing. It looks like it's gonna be a lot of fun. Oh, I agree. Renee, and um, son of a bitch. I, I looked at, I'm just, I'm sorry for stepping on I looked at the page in the previous catalog, uh, showcasing all of the action figures from it, mm-hmm. and I got spoiled. Oh. Hush. Oh. Yeah. I said, what the hell? You can't, cause usually, well, whenever, you may not have, it, um, whenever there's a character that they, you know, want it to be a surprise that it's, it's in it, they'll do a silhouette. There may be, but it, but, but there, if, if it's a character who was in the trailer, if it's the character I'm thinking about, and since I haven't seen, I didn't see this character in the trailer, maybe I wasn't looking Okay, closely. all right, cause there's a character that was introduced at the end of Thor the Dark World, which I still haven't seen, who is in Guardians of the Galaxy. This character was introduced at the end of Thor the Dark World. Yes, I believe in the post credit scene. Meaning, okay, meaning he's never been in a Marvel movie until, today. Right, until the end of the Thor movie, and now he's going to be in Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay, so there may is, be their connection there. So we, we'll, this, we'll talk about it after the show. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is not that good. Okay. By the way, I mean, I think the, the, the runaway favorite to be the biggest moneymaker this summer is How to Train Your Dragon 2. Get out of here. Oh, yeah. That's... I mean, we saw the first one, and that was great. I think we own it. Oh yeah, it's I, a I, good really, movie. I didn't. I didn't really get into the, to the TV show. Uh, nah, my kids like the TV show, but nah. No, my bet for the summer box office draw Godzilla, definitely. All right, I have the uh, I have the projections here. If you're curious, tell me. Um, okay, I was right. How to Train Your Dragon Two is projected to be the top worldwide grosser with a little under nine hundred million. Baffling. Um, this, I'm shocked by the number two projection because it's the one of the superhero related films I'm least looking forward to. X-Men Days of Future Past. Yeah, it's projected to earn no. about 850 million worldwide. Wow. No way. No way. That would surprise me. Yeah. Uh, Transformers Age of Extinction. Yeah. Projected to number three. <laughs> for that marky mark. Uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is number four. Hmm. No, this, this is a strange list. Uh, Godzilla number five. How much? Two hundred thirty domestic, four hundred forty foreign. So six six seventy. Never underestimate uh, underestimate the power of the big G. I think it'll do better. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man is sixth. Um, Guardians is seventh. Projected to earn uh, four hundred thirty million. That's a lot less than 1.5 billion. Yes, it is. <laughs> and would be by far and away the lowest grossing Marvel Studios movie. Um, oh, yeah. I think it's going to surprise. I think it's going to do more than that. I, I hope it does. I really do. Uh, Maleficent, number eight. That looks Renee really wants to good. see that, yeah. Yeah, that no, looks it looks pretty really good, good, actually. Um, Neighbors, number nine. That doesn't surprise me. Neighbors? Yeah, the, the Seth, Seth Rogen, Rogen comedy. Uh, Zach Efron. 
They read? Are they redoing? No, it's the not. It's not the, no, no. no. Uh, oh. Twenty-two Jump Street, number ten. I still need to see the first one. I know. I don't even know. Uh, yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, number eleven. Oh, that I, I'm not. No thanks. Yeah. And then A Million Ways to Die in the West, number twelve. Oh God. Ugh. Oh, I don't. That's Seth Rogen, right? No, no, Seth no that's McFarlane. Um, McFarlane. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. When it, when, it, when the credit says from the people who nice. brought you Ted, I am out. Yeah, there I'm we like, go. Peace. I don't care how many people tell me how good it is or how much money it made, Sal. I don't give a shit. That's not the point I'm trying to make when I say that it makes me sad. Oh, you're talking directly to him. Because I said that it, my heart weeps when from the mind that brought you Ted is used as a selling point. I know why they would. Yeah, but it still makes me sad for humanity that 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 it gets to be said, and and I don't I don't care how much it made, where they can get away with saying that that that's not the point I'm trying to make. I got I got no no point of reference. I haven't seen it, mm. so no, it's I won't. Horrific. I won't. Yeah, I don't care if my brother liked it. I don't care who else so liked bad. it. Didn't intrigue me enough to check it out. When they tell me how funny. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> It's so bad. Oh, I don't that is God. funny. Oh, goodness. All right. So, Let's bring this this dog and pony dude, show home. I've been for th- no, we get- three weeks I've been trying to talk about this book, and every week we get sidetracked. But you've been quiet. Let's hear it. Shoot. I want to hear dude, it. Dude, we, we, Chris isn't here anymore. We could go for four hours. Fill up fill up my ears with, with talk. That's what I want from you. You've been too quiet. First second is a oh, publisher boy. that doesn't get the credit they deserve. They do not. You are correct. I agree. And this book cropped up on a shit ton of best of 2013 lists. So I threw it in my Amazon wish list queue. And then I just had a hankering to finally try it. So I, I ordered it three weeks ago and then read it the day it came and read it in one sitting. Um, I am talking about Boxers and Saints oh, by Gene shit. Yang. Uh, some people may know Gene from uh, American Born Chinese, which was his debut graphic novel, highly acclaimed a few years ago. Uh, Gene is uh, a uh, LA-based, um, but of Chinese descent, cartoonist. And Boxers and Saints is um, actually two graphic novels. It, it comes in a. It's wonderfully packaged, by the way. It's 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 a fantastic hard slipcase with two volumes in it, one labeled Boxers, one labeled Saints. And the overlay is one face, if you will, but but the left side is the face of the male protagonist in the Boxers mm-hmm. book and the right side is the female protagonist of the Saints book. Um, this is this is uh Yang's take on the Boxer Rebellion in China. Um and it's just a I, the book. The book's acclaim has been astounding. It it it, uh, it won a national book award. Um, it was uh, the winner of the L.A. Times Book Prize. It's been nominated for uh, a couple Eisners. It's it was I think the Library Journal's best book of the year. It was one of Amazon's top ten books of the year. I mean, it definitely got mad praise from the non-core comics community, if you will. Um, but I I hadn't read American Born Chinese. I don't know if either of you have. So this is my first exposure to Yang. Um, his cartooning style is 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 um, 
I always feel like saying the word simple is going to kind of, is going to, um, connote, you know, is going to, is going to convey, um, like it's an, a pejorative, like a negative term. I don't mean it that way, but he has a relatively simple line. Uh, yet I think very effective. His pages are not hyper detailed. Um, but I, I think it looks great, and and as a sequential storyteller, I think he's excellent. He's he's an excellent cartoonist for sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, you're familiar with his his work, Vince? I am. Okay, good. Yes. Um, when when the books came, I didn't know whether you needed to read one before the other. Um, as it turns out, I think you're you're supposed to read Boxers first and then Saints. Um, but I read it the other way around. Um, I don't think it really matters one way or the other. I think he intended it to be the, the one way, but it doesn't really matter. Um, it's a strange little thing, but, but I have to give him a ton of credit. The books are totally different in size. I love that he, even though there's symmetry here, he didn't set out to say, okay, I'm going to do a 250-page graphic novel about this and a 250-page graphic novel about this. He he, um, the boxer's book is about twice as large as the saint's book. Uh, wow. Yeah. So, so he, he just told the story he wanted to tell on both sides so, you know, and just made them the size he felt told the story, which I love. So boxers is a story of a, a boy who we see turn, grow up into a man named Bao, B-A-U, I mean, sorry, B-A-O, uh, living in, uh, Shandong, uh, in, in China. And he essentially becomes the leader of the Boxer Rebellion. Uh, and he believes that he is imbued, um, with the spirit of the founder of China, the first emperor. Um, and his, his right hand men almost in a way conveyed his disciples or, or, um, like if almost like a Jesuit type of disciple thing are also imbued in their minds with other, uh, powerful Chinese legend, legendary warriors. And the way that, that Yang conveys this is terrific because it's almost like from a super Sentai type of a thing where these Chinese peasants are getting ready to do battle and all of a sudden they transform into these ornate super warriors from a time past, you know, and and they kick all kinds of ass. And what's fascinating is visually that works so well in the comics medium. And it's also a really compelling way to articulate what happened in the Boxer Rebellion. For those that don't know, the Boxer Rebellion is basically an uprising um, of a few thousand people that was driven under the auspice of they were trying to drive out the rise of Catholicism in China at the time. And their view was that Catholicism was essentially the devil's work being driven in from the Westerners who were using Catholicism to take over China for economic trade, most notably the opium trade. Um, and, and they, it was a little bit like a, Frank Miller 300 thing for a while. These, these, these men through a combination of will and charisma and an almost irrational belief in their own abilities were able to affect 
a lot of of damage on their way to this cleansing process that they were attempting. Now they eventually got destroyed. I mean, once the the, the Western Westerners and the Chinese uh, government took it seriously, they wiped them out in short order. But th- these guys actually thought that they were immune to cannons and bullets. They they actually believed that. Yeah, I know. Um, but it's amazing how long that belief carried them. So, so boxers is, is a story though of, of bow and it's a fictionalized representation. This is not, this is not, it's a more like inspired by the boxer rebellion than, than a true, uh, historical representation of, of the boxer rebellion. But bow is this young kid who, uh, is a little bit misguided and, he gets drawn into this notion of these foreign powers, and like I said, he, he feels like he's imbued with the power of these spirits, and he's just extremely magnetic, and he goes about the the land recruiting more and more people to fight along his side. Um, and we're, we're taking along this journey to a point where they've marched into uh, a major city and, and are basically getting ready to take on the government and the, the royal army if you will of the place and and there there are moments in the book where we meet and are introduced to characters who of course play pivotal roles in saints now saints is the story of a uh, young chinese girl who is known as four girl because she's the fourth girl of this family and basically worth so little in her father's eyes that she's not even worthy of a name and so she's disenfranchised. She she has no place in her village. Her family doesn't see much value in her. Nobody cares about her. No one even really notices she exists. And so she is drawn to the idea of Catholicism. At first, she's drawn to it simply because it's an escape. She's able to go to the uh, local priest's uh, home and, and read the Bible, and it's a way to escape her daily chores working on the farm. Um, and so at first it's purely a reason to escape and blow off her work, but slowly but surely she begins to buy into it and she's having visions of Joan of Arc at the time and eventually takes on a, 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 a name of Viviana and becomes a leader in the Catholic movement in China. And it's just great because Yang takes a totally different visual approach to this, but there were some similar undercurrents. Bao has visions of these great Chinese leaders and warriors. She has these visions of Joan of Arc and they drive her decision-making too. Um, and hers is one, I think of, of a little bit more of a fulfilling journey un- until frankly, she is confronted with the boxer rebellion and she is a, she's viewed as a secondary devil. The, the boxers called Chinese who became Catholic secondary devils. And, uh, so she's had this journey going from finding Catholicism as a reason not to work to becoming totally convinced that it's the right way to go. And then ultimately having to deal with the repercussions of having found her faith in the midst of the Boxer Rebellion. Um, it, it's just a terrific book. I mean, it's a super fast read. Uh, every character is so fleshed out. There's, there's a, um, there's a, a cooking oil salesperson who is also a martial artist and he comes to town and he's the one that essentially teaches Bao about the martial arts, which leads Bao to becoming the leader of his group and, and the, and, and creates the boxers. 
Um, there's, uh, there's this character named Father Bay and, um, he's basically, um, a Frenchman who gets so fed up with the corruption of the church where he's in France that he comes to China. Um, but he's villainous. He, the first thing you see him do in the book is come to Bao's village and he, he destroys, um, an idol that is the local God of the, of, um, like farming and the harvest. And he destroys that. And, and that resonates with Bao and he never forgets that. Um, but in four girls world, this man is anything but a villain. He's, he's in a way the icon that brings the greatness of the Catholic church to China. So it's fascinating the way that Yang juxtaposes these secondary and tertiary characters in both books and portrays them in completely different lights. You know, and I think that's the real strength of the book is showing you that, the, that humans and history are complex. You know, our interpretation of, of, histor- of, of a historical moment is so vastly different than another culture or country's take, right? I mean, if you're in Germany reading, learning about World War II, or Japan learning about World War II, your perspective on that's going to be vastly different than the way we're taught in history class about World War II, right? And he does all this with this wrapper of these fascinating young people who are dealing with these major issues of the Boxer Rebellion, but at the same time are dealing with much more common issues that we all have dealt with in terms of adolescence and your place in your family and your friendships and who can you really trust and what's ultimately your life goal and how are you going to go about that and uh, when you have to make decisions about choosing love or what you really believe in. And he, he's, he's just a consummate storyteller and the book deserves all the praise in the world. And, and while it deals with some very serious overtones and the subject itself is a, is a, is a heavy one. Um, it is a young adult book. It's, it's written for young adults. So it's perfectly fine for people even down to, I'd say preteens to read with no issues. You know, th- there's, there's definite, but there's not, you know, overt gore. Um, the books are, are, uh, I think colored wonderfully. And, um, you know, Vince, I mean, you're familiar with this work. So how would you describe his, 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 gra- his, his graphic? I mean, it's very clean. It's almost geometric at times, like the way that he draws things. I, I, it, but it's, I'm having trouble finding a comparison to, to compare his, his cartooning to somebody that others may know. Can you think of who, who he maybe looks like? Offhand, I can't single anyone out, but I, I will back you up in saying it's, it's a very spare style. It's, the lines are a very clean line, like you said. There's not a whole lot of noodling, but that's actually a lot more difficult mm-hmm. to do than, than if you take the Liefeld approach and just, you know, blitz the page with little tiny marks all over the place. Um, I'm trying to find a, 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 a Suitable comparison, and it, I'm just drawing a blank. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, I, what I think, if you're in the mood for more um, historical um, works, I don't remember. Did you like Onward Towards Our Noble Deaths, or you didn't? I did, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the same author, uh, Shigeru Mizuki, mm-hmm. is currently working uh, his way through uh, the history of Japan. Right, right, okay. The 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 show up period. Yeah, yeah. And I I'm about three quarters of the way through the first book. If you liked, uh, if if you like the historical, I th- really think you'll like this because it's basically the same approach 
where you have a country that's in fear of losing the very thing that has made it a country like in 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 China you're talking about the Catholicism they they were afraid of it so so they took steps to to eradicate it where in Japan they were they were deathly afraid of socialism and communism we're talking like 1920 uh so it takes place after the one you read like 1925 26 around there mm-hmm. they they even passed laws that limited personal freedom because they didn't want to lose that thing that japanese-ness the thing that made japan japan to you know these political uh these these forms of 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 government so they 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 said they made these laws that actually was a death sentence if you if you were branded um a traitor if if you even spoke out against the the uh the emperor that was it i mean by law they could do whatever they want to you Right, right, and it right. just sounds it sounds like the same thing where where you have you have the ruling uh bodies that are just in fear of losing that which they've the status quo right yeah and well, th- that's and, what it sounds a lot like i mean and from a historical context it it ends up the the boxers who who are basically they're xenophobes really i mean that's that's, that's what they are effectively yeah. they end up destroying thousands of years of classic works in historical literature by burning down the Royal Library, which is where all the the Westerners are being holed up at the time when the boxers invade. Mm-hmm. Uh, they burn it down and, and destroy. So in essence, that in, under the auspice of protecting their country, they're destroying a lot of the country's history, um, uh, you know, um, yeah. And then ultimately are unsuccessful anyway. So, so it was kind of a loose, loose. Uh, but it's fascinating stuff. I mean, Yang is 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 a beast. I, I I'm gonna definitely read American Born Chinese now. I, I I never felt compelled to read the book, um, to this point. But uh, but I've heard rave. Yeah, now now I have to because this was just too good. Um, and and it's it's a it's as I said, it's a wonderful package. It's um and it's I think thirty five bucks is the is the cover price. But again, from from any reputable place, uh, I don't know if InStock has it. I think they probably do. I haven't checked, but yeah. but I heard it's doing well too. It's doing really well. You mean sales wise? Yeah, yeah. Cool, that's good. It's on. It, like you said, it's on a ton of best of lists yeah, too. Yeah. I'm gonna make you happy right now. Mm. In this previews, the newest one, a book which you absolutely raved over. The creator has a new work in here and he's doing it in serial form it's not going to be a one and done like a a one shot or a, a graphic novel jason shiga you you loved his yeah, absolutely sure he's doing a 21 issue series self-publishing it through uh shiga books it's called jason shiga's it's hard to say jason jason and next to shiga mm-hmm. but I'll, you know jason shiga's demon uh 21 issue series uh creator of meanwhile uh, blah, blah, blah. 21 issue series about one man's quest to conquer the world using mathematics and the power of demon possession. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how the two relate, but we'll see. Perfectly. Yeah, I'm guessing you're going to be all over this. Of course, dude. That's what I'm saying. Eat that up like a bowl of grits. 21 issues, though. Uh, and they're 36 pages. So that's a that's gonna be a monster of a book when he's finally finished. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So there we go. A lot of content for your asses this time around. And only just three of us even. Yeah, it's what we do. It's what we do. Uh, as always, this episode has been brought to you by Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com. Get your books, get them fast, get them cheap, and get them delivered right to your door. They are the very best, which is why we have carefully chosen them as our one and only sponsor. D- DCBService.com. In your travels. I ordered this based on the author alone. Mike Richardson. We know him. Mm-hmm. Yep. Dark Horse. Head honcho. Um, but I was extremely, extremely pleased with the final product. It's called The Atomic Legion. Uh, written by Mike Richardson. Illustrated by Bruce Zick. Hardcover. Oversized. Thick as a brick. It's like almost 200 pages. It's a love letter to comics. In a nutshell, Albert Einstein, but he's not known as, as Albert Einstein in the book. He's known as the master of time and space. Mm-hmm. And he's got a, his costume has a, an A, E with a lightning bolt on the chest. It's, it's cute. He sets up a pocket universe. Nice. And in this universe, uh, the po- in this pocket universe, time creeps um, at a at a much 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 slower rate than without the pocket universe. Sets up this universe, and he has gathered archetypes and uh, examples of our favorite comic book characters, but they're not named the same. The Superman analog is known as Tomorrow Man. There's an analog there for the shadow called the shade. The Wonder Woman analog is called the Amazon. There's a um, a human brain in a robot shell. There's an analog to Rondo Hatton's The Creeper. There's um, uh, a hyper-intelligent simian who wears glasses and so on. Uh, there's a, a Will-o'-the-Wisp type character. There's a young girl, uh, with, uh, called Zap Girl with, uh, electric powers. And it's basically, it's a love letter to comics. Uh, all these characters gather together. There's a young man who is an orphan and he's en route to, uh, an uncle that he's never met before to live with him. Uh, while the plane is, is, uh, spanning the distance. Albert, uh, the man of tom- the man of the master of time and space, his experiment breaches the dimensions and causes havoc, and the kid is brought into this pocket universe, and and so the the adventures ensue. It's an awesome book. It's it's lighthearted. It's everything I love about comics. It's dripping with Kirby. Just absolute. Every panel is just a kiss on Kirby's cheek. Uh, David, I don't know. You're going to have to see it before you try it because it's all pencil, colored pencils. Okay. Yeah, colored pencil art. But the lines are so strong and so thick and just so they're powerful that it doesn't matter. It, it, for all intents and purposes, it might as well have been inked. There, there are, um, you got a tonality to a lot of the work that he achieved with the pencil that adds a lot of, um, variation to the the color it's just i think it's beautiful there's some covers in here that are takes on famous covers like the bernie wrightson swamp thing cover where uh swamp things on the it's like a plank like structure jutting out from the side of the castle you've all seen it 
there's a Frankenstein monster in here. He's one of the beings within the pocket universe. They do a takeoff on the Incredible Hulk cover number one. There's, um, of course, uh, Superman number one, a takeoff on that cover. This is just an amazingly fun book. It just speaks to everything I love about comics. There's big ideas, but they're not like overworked. It's just, oh, there's a giant squid that's trying to eat us. We better take our super powerful spaceship and get out of here. Mm-hmm. And then it's just, it, it just breakneck pace, just incident after incident. It's a lot of fun. It's $29.99, full color, oversized hardcover from Dark Horse. If you're in the mood for old timey silver age comic book fun, I would suggest you try the Atomic Legion because I just, I ate it up. Nice. It's great. Yep. Nice, nice. Uh, I'm going to say, well actually, I'm going to take those with me. I, uh, after talking with Vince yesterday about the, oh. he sends me a DM, he goes, you know, there's like, Dark Horse is offering a bunch of finder stuff and previews. <laughs> and I'm like, well, we have the library, I have the two library editions. And I have the voice uh, OGN, so I'm not sure what the difference is between these new collections or libraries. So I dug these out. I'm going to take these with me on vacation, so I'm going to try to read some Finder. So I can't say, I mean, obviously it's good, so in your travels you should read it, but I I can't speak from experience as far as the the bulk of the stuff. So I'm going to say in your travels... um, if you're a fan of Warren Ellis, if you're a fan of Warren Ellis's uh, Planetary or even Global Frequency, if you like his done-in-one stuff that seems to be heading towards something bigger, uh, then you might want to see Warren Ellis team up with Declan Chalvey and Jordi Valer and read some Moon Knight. Mm, hell yeah. The, uh, the, the third issue, uh, I read before we recorded tonight. It's another done in one. It is closer to the first issue than it is to the second issue. Um, it's, it's still gorgeous and it, it's more of, um, Mark Spector going back to his, um, contra roots than, than we've seen lately. Um, there's he, the conversations he's having, um, in this issue in particular, leads somewhere, um, and the issue itself may read kind of quick, but when you sit back and when you finish it and, and you see what went on in it, uh, Ellis is sneaky and, and, and <laughs> subtle and, you know, you may read it and take it at face value and, and see it as a complete story, but there's something else going on there. And, and which is why I'm, I'm giving it that, um, that planetary comparison because you know, every issue of planetary, I, I absolutely loved. Uh, and then you sit back and you see that it was part of something larger and, and it, it was a thing of beauty. And this is, I, I have a feeling this is, more the same in that regard. This is going to be just like it. it and, and I, you know, I, 
we've been doing this show for however many years, and I don't think I would have ever imagined me saying in your travels read a Moon Knight comic. <laughs> for real. But for thank real. you, Warren yeah. Ellis. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to. And, and I don't have it yet, but I'd also recommend the, um, Andre the Giant by Box Brown. Yeah. I cannot wait for that goddamn book to arrive Same in my inbox. <laughs> I'm thinking about yeah. ordering it so I can read it while I'm down there. Nice. Uh, what did you say today on the Facebook? Hmm? Paper, paper band paper be damned. That's right. Yes, I did. I she wasn't paying attention no, to it. That was private messages, bro. Show me that. Oh, okay. well, I'm going to tell her. Yeah, of course you are. <laughs> uh, in your travels, uh, you need to, if you're not already, you have until July to get caught up uh, before the book starts up again. Much to Dap's chagrin, I think, after he read the sixth issue and realized he had to wait until July for the seventh. Mm. But uh, Image Comics, a little book called Black Science, written by Mr. Rick Remender, drawn by Mabui, Mr. Mateo Scalera, with colors by Mr. Dean White. Uh, we got six issues so far, and it's essentially um, a cross between... Uh, Swiss Family Robinson and, and, uh, Exiles. <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, he, he, guy creates a, a dimension hopping machine to try and save the earth and, uh, something goes amiss. We, we later find out the who and why of that, yeah, but, dick. but, uh, and, and it, it's, they're hopping dimensions and, and much like sliders, the old TV show, for those of you that are old enough to remember that, um, they, 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 they hop into these parallel universes. Some of them are very similar to ours. Some are very different and they're, they have no control over how long they're there for. So in one case, I think they're only there for like five minutes and another, they're there for a couple of days. So, um, it's, it's a very, even though it sounds like a pure sci-fi romp and it is, it's so far been essentially a character st- st- study it's 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 the 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 dimension hopping and and all of that shenanigans is basically been background for an almost soap opera like complex set of interrelationships between the scientists that did it their the kids the wife the boss the mistress they're all intertwined in lots of complex ways. And, and it's, I mean, I don't know what you thought, David, but I, it really, to me has been much more about the, the characters and their motivations and their backstories and what they have for and against each other. than it's really been about the, the worlds that we're visiting yet. I mean, they, they haven't spent a ton of time focusing particularly on any of the worlds or, 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 or you know, what makes them distinctive. It's, it's really been much more about that stuff, driving these people to have to handle their uh, trust in one another and 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 ability to handle stress. In a strange way, it's a lot like the way people talked about Kirkman and Walking Dead in the beginning, which is to say The Walking Dead isn't a zombie book, or that's not really what it's about. It's about how humans would handle an unbelievably stressful situation like a zombie apocalypse. And that's kind of what this is reminding me of. How, would, how are these people handling this really stressful situation? Um, Versus the adventures they're having in these worlds. I would agree with that. I, I have about a half page of notes because I, I wasn't sure what we we're going to be talking about tonight. So I will, I will save the bulk of this, uh, for 
next week because of something cool. else I also read by Mr. Rick Remender. But um, the one thing that I took away from Black Science as the, the six issues were um, unfolding, the role reversals, and especially two of the main characters, um, and how how that played out. And you... This is a book where you expect nothing. Anything that can happen will absolutely happen. We are, I, I, I've said it because of the, of, of, of what's happening on some of the TV shows I watch, but we are, um, or at least I'm noticing it a lot more now, but we are in an age where it doesn't matter who the lead character is, who the actor is on a TV show, who's playing the character, who, who's the star of a comic book. If, forget about, okay, there's, there's 15 minutes left in the show, the good guy's gonna get out of the predicament. It, we're beyond that. Whether it's, it's Game of Thrones or Justified or, or Arrow or Fargo, anything that I'm watching, anything I'm reading, there are, there are no rules. I, whatever I grew up experiencing or expecting in my entertainment is on its ear in this day and age. And and the way some of the characters, the the, the situation the characters found themselves in in Black Science, and um, where the pillar would show up depending on where uh, there was one world in particular where I completely. Um, lost my shit because of how things were, were playing out. And, and I just, Black Science is definitely one of my favorite books. It's, it's, Black Science is a book where I am so giddy to be a comic book fan because it's something like this that makes me excited for the medium, for the, for the stories that can be told for what the creators are doing and, and it's so different than anything else that, that I'm reading, whether that's Southern Bastards or Saga or mm-hmm. Spider-Man or Hulk. It just, I am so happy that it exists is, is long story short. And God damn, is that art nice? <laughs> it is. It really Especially is. the ones hanging on your wall. <laughs> I didn't say it. Yeah, you didn't think you didn't it have it's to. not hanging on my wall. It's in one of my Atoyas, but your point is well made. Nice. I read the first issue, loved it. I backed off and I said, I am not going to buy this in single issue. I'm going to wait till it's all collected in a, in a, in a real honest to God book because that's how I want to read it. Uh, how you roll, son? I had the pain go yep. down to my taint when I turned that page and it said, we'll be back in July. I was like, you fuckers. You fuckers. Yeah. Well, I, I hate to leave them on on the note of David's taint, but twenty four seven. Oh boy! Hey everybody, thank you for being here with us this whole time. And uh, as always, you can find us in the very same same spot you found this one next week. We'll be here. We'll be waiting for you, and we love you so much. Well, you'll find get you. those audition tapes in. <laughs> Seriously, we got to fill that void. So it's a low bar to hop over, people. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to find yourself a flaming bag of poop on your doorstep. Oh, reels, yo. Bye. Say, say goodnight, David. Good night, David.
Aww. Love you, Chris. Not like this. Not like this. Not like this. come back just for that. <laughs> for, yeah, I can always. Oh, that's true. This is not-